You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Huh? Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe, and this week we are talking about Demolition Man. Uh, Tell me, talk about it. I'm very happy to be joined once again uh, by a returning guest and the man who I hope can help me understand the secret of the three seashells. It's Preston Mitchell. Preston, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Matt. It's such a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being back. We were just talking before... uh, we started for a while here, but I was, it feels like I was like, when were you here last? And it was like January. I was like, oh, my God, that feels like a year ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm happy to catch up. We, we just caught up for a long time before we started actually recording, but um, happy to catch up with you and happy to have you back on the show. Talk about a very, a very fun movie, I will say right up top. <laughs> oh, very fun movie. Lots of great one liners. Uh, a lot of a lot of blondness going on in this movie. It's 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 going to be a, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a good time. Oh, it's going to be fun. So, um, but uh, yeah, I guess I know before we even get into Demolition Man, because I, I have so much to say about this movie. But uh, um, have you seen <laughs> anything lately that you want to talk about? The the good, the bad, the in the meh, the 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 show <laughs> movies, you know, the good, the bad, and the meh was the original title of Leone's. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't it didn't pop as quite as much. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, if you squint your eyes and like look at the Italian and translate it, that's what it means. Uh, no, I, I <laughs> no, um, I, 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 I do actually. Um, um, yeah, there's there's a there's a few movies that I that I've watched recently. I've had a really good like past movie week. I've got to say, like like uh, I don't know if it like one of these. I wrote my letterbox review. I don't know if it's because I'm in a just a good movie mood lately, or I've been watching them during the right times i guess i don't know i i but i've been i've been loving loving the movies i've been watching lately um but i'll start off with um i think the newest movie i've seen lately which is air um i think it came out uh over i think it came out a couple of weekends ago still fresh in theaters it's still playing um uh back by amazon studios have you had a chance to see this matt I have not, and I am so behind on new movies that I feel like this is one of the ones I'm behind on. I think I may have to just kind of pick and choose, and I might wait on this one. I know it's coming to Prime sometime, in a, probably in the next few months. So I feel like I've heard good things, but I feel like I'm at the point where it's like I'm so behind, I have to make some choices. So uh, I do want to see it, but I think I'm going to have to wait till Prime at this point. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. 
Yeah, yeah, no, man. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Um, like it's one of those like you know if if because the thing about this year in movies like it's it, you know the 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 big mainstream stuff is starting to get kind of loaded, and it's one of those where by the end of the summer I'm probably going to be swimming uh, in in movies to watch. But I think you can wait on this if you haven't seen it simply because um, it is backed by Amazon Studios, so it is most likely going to go to Prime. Um, it is, if people don't know, it's directed by Ben Affleck. Um, it is a, a sports biopic um, that's based on the true events um, where it starts in the, off in 1984, where Nike Incorporated is on the verge of shuttering their uh, basketball shoe division due to low sales. And so Jason Bateman's character, who's the marketing VP, and then Ben Affleck, um, who is in the movie portraying Phil Knight, who co-founded Nike, uh, they basically commandeer talent scout Matt Damon to come up with a new spokesperson for Nike. And basically, against all odds, um, Damon is like, hey, guys, like, it's like, I know my career's on the rocks. Like, uh, he even, Damon even, like, gained weight for the role. So, like, in addition to being an everyman, he's, like, he's going a tad he's going like a tad De Niro for this role just to make you <laughs> just to make just to make you feel for him more like they they make a lot of jokes at his expense and just I always love when a leading man does that when he like is just he makes himself a little more identifiable in some way but um yeah like uh he he basically looks at the NBA draft of that year and he's like Michael Jordan's the third pick and I want him the problem is that Michael Jordan is is a fan of Adidas and he's too expensive for Nike's basketball meager budget. So um, it's basically, the movie begins as kind of like a, an internal war between Damon and those other superiors. He's backed by Chris Tucker, um, who's a highlight of the movie. Um, he's also going up against um, Chris Messina, who portrays Jordan's manager, I believe. There's a lot of different professions in <laughs> nomenclature thrown out the movie it's it's very money ball it's very draft day um in, in in terms of how it's relaying all this information to a wide audience but honestly i think the movie is a lot of fun it's really good um it's it, i don't think it's an oscar movie i don't think it's like oscar great partially because like the movie's not trying to be i think it's best enjoyed as a light comedy and i think it's a good route to take uh because the story of Michael Jordan has been told before on uh, The Last Dance, the, the the miniseries that ESPN did um, in 2020. You know, uh, you know, great documentary if if uh, if anyone's seen it. But I like that this movie took the corporate route to go narrative. You do have to kind of look past some things where it's like, okay, um, it's Amazon, you know, the king of capitalism at the moment. You know, making a movie where the underdog is one of the biggest companies we have. And going into the movie, because I, I, I do really love sports movies. Like, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Um, but sneakers, like, the sneakerhead culture, like, that's never been my thing. Uh, but this movie made it really fascinating. It, it kind of tied the, the symbol of the shoe with, like, um, with being persecuted and, and, and being against all odds. And, like, th there's a lot of sometimes on the nose, sometimes surprisingly salient, you know, metaphorizing going on with that. And I just think the performances are just funny and really solid. Like it's, it's best enjoyed as a light comedy and uh, like Viola Davis is in the movie and, you know, basically doing a character she can already do in her sleep. She's 
Michael Jordan's mom, mm-hmm. um, who um, who the way that she comes around to Matt Damon inevitably because spoiler guys, uh, the Air Jordan was created after this movie, of course. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. Um, they made the shoe. It's like, yeah, that is funny. I mean, I, it's like, yeah, we know, we kind of know where this is headed, but you don't know the backstory to where it's headed. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's just a fun time. Like, um, there's so, the cast is so stacked to where like only a few people get like, like Marlon Wayans is only in the movie for like one scene, but it's like one of the best scenes in the whole movie. And it reminds you, it's like, okay, Marlon Wayans, you know, like, it's not just wrecking for a dream. Like this guy can actually bring gravitas to, to, to a character in even just in this one scene. Um, uh, everyone else is kind of playing to their types, much like a comedy would be like Jason Bateman's the smart ass with the heart of gold. And you like him because of that. Ben Affleck is, he's kind of going full last duel um, as the CEO of Nike. Like he's like, he's having a ball being like, yeah, guys, I'm rich. And you know, but like, I have a hard goal too because I co-founded it while Matt Damon, like I knew him, and, and it was it, it kind of works because um, Damon and Affleck are such good friends in real life. It really comes across in their scenes together, even when they're contentious. And a lot of a lot of really cool '80s music. A lot of uh, the movie moves quickly, like it moves fast. Like when the movie was done, I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm done laughing," and, and the movie's over. Wow. Okay, fine. And <laughs> When the movie inevitably hits those sports beats of like, okay, we've got to, you know, be a little sentimental. We've got to be a little emotional. Like it, it worked on me. Like it was because the rest of the movie, it felt genuine despite it being like a company celeb- celeb- celebration. So it right. was, um, I do recommend checking it out. Like, again, if you don't have time to make it to the theater, um, I'm glad I, I did see it in the theater because I do like to support as many smaller type movies as I can even though I do, I am very pro blockbuster. Um, yeah. Like if, if you're on prime and you want to see just a, a rock solid kind of throwback to not just the eighties, but just the types of movies we used to get um, all the time in theaters just 10 years ago. Like, I think it's a good time. Yeah. I mean, um, I definitely would like to see it if I just <laughs> was not uh, so busy behind on movies, but uh, it sounds interesting. I like kind of like behind the scenes, uh, it's not quite a sports uh, story, you know. It's it's sports related, but like I like Moneyball. I like, uh, but Air is oh, yeah. a little more like the business of sports. But it's we, yeah. So I mean, it's interesting. I uh, I I will definitely check it out uh, whenever I can. So I'm glad that you liked it though. It just seems like a fun, you know, kind of like people are saying like, oh, it's a movie for adults. You know, it's just like a it's like a, it's just a, like a simple movie for adults. Like we don't get enough of those. So. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It's it's it just it's a it has a lot of heart to it and yeah it's just it's just a fun movie. Um, uh, my second movie. Um, so I've been exploring a lot more like westerns this year. Um, uh, a lot of you know really good ones. You know, there's been a few that I've watched that have been like, ooh, oh goodness, okay, scream to the side. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, there's a reason no one talks about this one. Put it over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's kind of been like my quiet little project this year. Um, and uh, one of the one of the ones that I think is really really good, um, and I actually kind of love this movie. It's called Stars in My Crown from 1950. Um, have you ever heard of this, Matt? I've never even heard of a, uh, heard of that before. So yeah, <laughs> no idea <laughs> no, what that is. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's a Joel McRae Western um, that's directed by Jock, Jock Turner of Cat People. I walked a zombie. I walked with a zombie. 
um, and out of the past. So already it's like, okay, this, this gothic horror, uh, film noir kind of guy, like he's doing a Western, like what, what does that look like? Um, and it, the, you know, the answer is that it's, it's really, really good. Um, it's post-Civil War, it takes place soon after that. And Joel McRae follows a preacher who arrives in, um, uh, I believe a fictional, uh, a fictional small town. And after he heads to a saloon to kind of give off his first sermon, he's laughed off by the patrons. And <laughs> once, once they laugh at him, he pulls out two guns and then he's like, Oh snap. Okay. Now I'm going to listen. It's like, Oh my goodness. Okay. Now I'm hooked. Um, and that's just the beginning of the movie. And uh, the movie is narrated by his orphaned, the adult version of his orphan nephew, who is played by in the movie by a by a young Dean Stockwell, um, legendary Dean Stockwell. It, it was it was really, it was really. It's always weird for me to see him as a kid in movies because I'm so used to like Paris, Texas, Blue oh, Velvet. Yeah, he must have been like very young. Is he, he's like a child in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think he's like eight or nine in this oh, movie wow, or something okay. like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, super young. Um, just, just, yeah. And, <laughs> and, um, so he marries, um, he marries her aunt, uh, or he marries his aunt, who's played by, um, uh, a lot of the screwball comedy fans will know her name is Aaron Drew, uh, who's probably best known for Christmas in July, the Preston Sturgis movie, great movie. Um, uh, and, and this is, a, this is honestly no different. And so basically what happens is, uh, over the course of the movie, this preacher is trying to unite the unruly townspeople who, are very reticent to change. And the change, of course, being not only is it the, the reconciliation of faith and science, um, which is a tad predictable, it's probably the most predictable part of the movie is that, but I did find that interesting for a Western of that time period, something that people accuse 50s Westerns of being, you know, howdy ma'am and stuff like that. I'm starting to figure out that that's not really the case once you kind of scratch scrape the surface a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but race relations is a big talking point in this movie. And I think that's where I kind of perked up a bit, even more so than I already had, because uh, there's a character in the movie who's a freed slave who owns his own land. And there's a, a very, it's kind of the opposite of Air, where like Air is kind of painting businessmen as like, hey, we're assholes, we're good people, right? This businessman is played by Ed Beckley from 12 Ringing Men. He's a straight up asshole. Um, just mm. a decrepit scumbag because he uh, he approaches this freed slave and he's like, and he and his men are all just like, hey, you have this uh, this this deposit of Mika on your land. Can we buy it? Because his whole plan is basically to uh, basically use that deposit to make his own mind survive and uh, and bring more more uh, flourishment to his own uh, uh, stock of natural minerals. And which sounds that could potentially sound a little dry, but this movie leans very heavily on the racial aspect, which of course is adds beautifully into what the movie is is ultimately about, which is a love of people, a love of faith, a love of um, not necessarily de- demonizing people who who don't have the faith, but also just accepting all kinds of people and all kinds of perspectives. And I think that that's a really beautiful underpinning for what I think elevates what I think a lot of people will say if they watch it is like a gentle, sentimental Western. I think this is one of those times where the gentility really matches the message. And even though the 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 
kind of the inevitable climax is a tad rush. It's like, oh, it's gentle until it's not. Um, the the climax and the way that all that comes together, I think, is really shocking, interesting, and satisfying. So I'm a big fan of Stars in My Crown. I think it's a, a really solid, really, really good Western. Uh, I've become a bigger Joel McRae fan lately, and uh, it's just a good time. Okay, cool. I yeah, I was actually the name again. So Stars in My Crown. Okay. Adding it to the watch list. Don't know. Don't know when I'll get to watch it, but uh, <laughs> I, it sounds. Oh, and it is directed by uh, Jacques Tourneau, which I mean, I I like everything I've seen from him. So uh, yeah, that helps me kind of uh, give me a little push. So that's. I mean, that sounds really interesting. It sounds kind of a little different for your typical western. So yeah, um, um, he directed another Western uh, that I think is actually uh, better than this. It's called King and Passage that I discovered earlier this year. Uh, great movie. That one's in Technicolor. Um, uh, but it's it's almost much like John Ford. The more I dig into John Ford this year, um, they're almost similar when it comes to their Westerns because both men are kind of more interested in the Victorian era courtesies and how that clashes with like the lawlessness and the kind of the the freer nature of the old west rather than just making a straight up gonzo action thriller um and i think there's places for both and i definitely think uh to noir's westerns definitely in my opinion they 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 very much stack up to like the ford variety so um i'm not saying they're like searchers great because i know you did that episode with on cult movies which is awesome but um it, it is really really solid and i think i think you would actually uh very much enjoy it nice okay um i will add it to the list so uh what what anything else you want to talk about well okay so i think the last the, the last <laughs> didn't sound one, good to start well okay <laughs> no, no, no. okay Cause, okay because because um so this is this is okay. So I'm you and I talked off mic about how you know we're we're gonna be we're 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 kind of helping a friend of ours with a, a certain project uh, later this year, and uh, so I was like, okay, I have not seen too many John Carpenter movies until this movie. I had only seen five, so um, I finally watched The Fog for the first time from 1980, oh, and yeah. <laughs> for someone like me who is typically not a fan of ghost stories or horror thrillers and stuff like that this movie blew my fucking mind matt oh my god <laughs> i was i was literally like when the movie i reached the middle section and when uh when uh hal, hal halbrook as the priest starts saying some weird shit about a cross i literally paused the movie and i was like this is so my shit why have i been putting this off <laughs> um and then the movie the movie what made it so interesting to me and, and why it stood out and, and I, should I explain what the fog is about or do people know, like, is it like kind of a staple? <laughs> I think, I think people get it. I mean, basically it's a very simple premise anyway. It's at the small little coastal town, a uh, fog rolls in a uh, hundred years after a ship sank, disappeared. And then yeah, uh, there's pirate ghosts. That's basically all you need. <laughs> it's like a uh, good cast, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, oh my God. Her mom. Her mom, Janet Lee, uh, Adrian Tom Barbo, Atkins, Tom mm-hmm. Atkins, without a mustache, if I remember right, which always yeah, disturbs me. <laughs> that... uh, don't how Holbrook. I mean, it's a beautiful looking movie, great score. Uh, sorry, you're talking about this. I'm, I'm just I'm just jumping in like I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, but the fog is yeah, the fog is fantastic. So, um, if, you know what's funny? If you'd said, "Hey, Matt, I've seen like hardly any Carpenter movies. What would you recommend to me?" And like knowing your taste, I feel like. 
the fog would have been either at the top or near the top of the list of recommendations. I feel like it'd be something you could enjoy. Um, <laughs> it feels like an old timey ghost story. I mean, it, it it starts off with like talking mm-hmm. around a campfire about a ghost. I mean, it's like it is so uh, old fashioned in like the best way. So um, I'm yeah, sorry. that's yeah. <laughs> well, you're you're so right, and that's the charm of it. I think what what put me off from it is. Because I feel like, okay, like, I don't know if I've ever said this on a podcast before, like, in detail, but, like, not that it matters what I think about a genre that I'm, you know, am, have a hard time with. But, like, my thing about ghost stories, usually on film, is that I feel like, and I was telling a friend this, because she was the one who was like, Preston, watch The Fog. You, you would love it, much like you. And she was like, it's a ghost movie that has rules. And, I'll, and, and that sounds so simple, but like, I feel like a lot of ghost movies, I'm not trying to make people mad. I swear to God, I'm not. But like, I feel like a lot of the time it's like a gust of wind and curtains shaking their ass. And like, that just doesn't do it for me. It just, does. it just, it just, I don't know, man. It's just like, and then there's like half the movies are like screaming. And so now I'm going to get a bunch of people be like, Preston, watch these. Um, and that's fine, but but I don't mind eating. I don't mind eating a bowl of crow. I definitely did it with the fog because even though I love the thing, I love Halloween, you know, and 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 I love Christine, and I love you know, I, you know, other other Carpenter movies that I've seen. It's just like I was putting this off because of my bias, and like that's not cool because. What sucked me in immediately was not just the old fashioned nature of it, but the fact that it's like multiple types of horror stacked against each other. It's like, okay, this fog pretty much only comes out at night and it's perfect for the maritime atmosphere of the New England town. The characters make weird, interesting choices. There's actually a pretty legitimately sweet and loving romance between Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins. That just something so small surprised me. I think because it's so bereft in, in the current climate, but it's also like the whole design of the actual uh, ghostly pirates, the fact that it's these bodies who, um, the way I rationalized it in my head, like they're like they're kind of decomposed inside the fox. So they have this very wet, uh, uh, they have this very wet mangled appearance that's very instantly iconic and just sticks in your head. Like even talking about right now, I'm just like, man, they look so fucking cool. Mm -hmm. And then it's also a slasher movie where the kills like Carpenter is such a master of the visual medium that like he is able to control light and control the effects of the fog, which that in and of itself kept blowing my mind. He synthesizes it together in a way that makes each kill memorable. Since I do like the characters in this movie a lot, I was terrified and then really (laughs) let down whenever one of them died i was like fuck i like that guy but (laughs) that's what makes the movie so so good and so effective and this this one i get why it's a classic and it's definitely it's goodness the thing is probably still my favorite carpenter for the moment but like this is near the top of that list for me it's it's and i'm excited to watch more carpenter movies this year because he is one of those legendary directors I've been sleeping on for too long because yeah, every time I sit down and watch one of his movies, I very much enjoy it. Um, they're very much unique. I get why this guy's a legend. The end. <laughs> and good night, everybody. No, I <laughs> shut it down. No, uh, he's. I, that, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. It's he's uh, one of my favorite directors. I think I've said that on this podcast. Uh, 
got to be in the top 10. Sometimes I think he's in my top five directors. Because uh, uh, he goes on this run from like, God, Assault on pre 13 to like They Live, where it's just one of the best. Uh, okay, okay, my bad. Sorry, sorry. Seven, seven. I've seen They Live. I keep forgetting I've seen that one. But yeah, I love They Live. My bad. So you sound like you've seen like some of the really big carpets. So you've seen Halloween thing, They Live, The Fog. I've seen the three Russells. So yeah, like the Big Trouble, Escape from New York, uh, The Thing. So that's three. Okay, Halloween, They Live, Christine, and then The Fog. So that's seven. I've seen seven. Okay. And you've seen basically everything from that amazing run for i mean a couple things are missing but like yeah so you've seen like okay you've seen like some of the best carpenters so you're doing pretty well i would say you're doing pretty well um, <laughs> not uh, complete novice yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not bad um he doesn't have that many movies like because uh you know I, I don't know i don't know the number but i feel like he has like maybe 20 something i don't know like low time like so it's pretty small it's pretty small like because i'm looking right now um dark star assault on precinct 13 i haven't seen elvis um prince of darkness uh and then after they live okay starman i have not seen someone's watching me and then after they live that's full-on blind to me so okay well then it gets (laughs) a lot of people think it gets very very dicey after into the 90s i still like most of his uh stuff up i you know i there's not even i don't know what i think the worst carpenter movies i won't even try to (laughs) guess right now (laughs) i'm a defender of some of the stuff like ghost from mars and vampires and Mm -hmm. um that kind of stuff that later people don't like you know people don't like that as much but uh in the mouth of madness, I know is is a classic. Oh yeah, that one's great. That one's great. Uh, um, yeah, he's he's one of the best. He's one of the best. I'm excited for you to go on this uh, carpenter journey now. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, I think you'll like Starman a lot too. If I had to guess, I would say that's a that's a Preston movie that or a movie you'd really fall in love with. I think I could see that. Um, it's very different for him. It's like a very I mean, it's sci-fi, but there's it's a very beautiful love story at the core of it. Um, it's it's really really good. It's good. So um, I'm excited yeah. for that one, especially. I really am. And uh, I, I think it's a perfect it's a perfect pivot because I think it was Lindsay who was like, "How have you never seen Assault in Precinct 13? Like that's such a western. <laughs> that's not a western." I'm oh, like, "Yeah, true. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah." So yeah, no, I'm I've got some. I know I got some good stuff ahead of me. Um, some interesting stuff ahead of me. At the, at the very least, I feel like. Once I do get into that, like, okay, like the more, uh, I guess, questionable period, like it's going to be, it's going to get interesting. And I feel like, again, like we have a run like that, like uh, just based on what I've seen and what all you guys say, I mean, I I have no choice but to call him one of the greats. So yeah, I I know. uh, Yeah, I know. I know several people we know they're listening to this smiling right now. So yeah, (laughs) the fog's awesome, guys. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> um well i'm very jealous of your good run of movies because i've been on the opposite uh, <laughs> and, uh an express elevator straight to hell no i it hasn't, been, it hasn't been that bad uh but i i don't know what i've been i trying to watch some stuff for an episode that keith and i are going to do where we're going to talk about a lot of vinegar syndrome movies for the because the sales coming up in may and we're trying to like we did an episode a long time ago like two mm-hmm years ago that was really well received and uh we're like a part two to that we're talking about and i'm trying to watch a lot of vinegar syndrome stuff and i've been picking all the wrong stuff like i know a lot of people think they put out like a lot of a lot of garbage i'm like no no they put out good stuff and i'm trying to go through all my 
like unwatched ones and and I'm like, oh no, I picked some really bad ones. So uh I yeah, I won't go into that. But I'll I watched two new things uh in theaters this this weekend. Uh actually the same day. Uh I ended up going to two movies. Um oh, wow. so I'll start with the one that was worse. Uh <laughs> God. I saw Renfield, which uh is pretty bad and i was really looking forward to it because i like nicholas cage a lot and uh dare say i love the man and i thought it was gonna be a fun time um it was (laughs) not i uh i think it gets worse the more i think about it actually (laughs) so i i go into renfield like i you know i the reviews been kind of mixed and i'm like i it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine and uh it's it just oh boy where to start i don't even know (laughs) why this is what you do with this idea you got dracula and renfield you put them in modern day new orleans and um you could have done like fun crazy hijinks i know hayden i were talking about it and he's like the first talk of it something it's gonna be kind of like a crazy kind of zany like horror comedy um which would have been when it was first announced that's what i was like kind of hoping for like uh because i think when the trailer dropped like he and i were like the i think he and i were like the ones that are like what is this like this isn't <laughs> this isn't what i because because i because i because i really mess with nick cage too like i i love the man i think a lot of us do but um and i wasn't i don't root for movies to be bad but like when i saw that trailer i don't know something about it for for me it just like was like man they're mixing a lot of different things and i don't know oh, if a oh, Dracula oh, movie... are they preston are they <laughs> so, i think it's worse i saw the trailer too i didn't think it looked great but i thought okay this i think it's worse than the trailer lets on like i think they are trying to mix uh a crime action superhero movie with a horror comedy movie um that doesn't make any sense there's this i think the most egregious thing is that there's this like whole subplot dedicated to like aquafina being a cop and her dad was killed who was a cop who was killed and she wants to get the gang in new orleans who was responsible for it basically and like ben schwartz who i actually usually like like parks and rec and stuff plays like oh yeah he's great yeah uh, you know, I usually like him. He's awful in this. He, him and Aquafina are <laughs> awful. They are. I reject my statement. It's Jesus. okay. No, he's, I was like, wow, I don't like you right now. And I usually am a fan of you. Both of them are very bad. Like, and the subplot is so unnecessary and stupid. And I'm like, why do I care about Aquafina and her, um, uh, you know, trying to get this gang and like, we're trying oh. to drag the Renfield Dracula stuff into it. Um, and it's so... I just, I was like, I was watching it. I can't remember the last time in like real time I was watching a movie going, why do they make these choices? Why do they make these choices? <laughs> like I, every choice was baffling. Like um, that's this whole, that's uh, so much of the movie. That's so much of the movie. And like, well, how, so how, was, how was, how was, how Nichols Holt? Cause I'm a fan of his. He's and, fine. And he's, he's, I think okay. he's fine. I don't think it's his fault. Um, there's a much better movie here that would have focused more on him and Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, I think, is like, I don't know if I say barely in the movie. He's in it less than I thought oh, he would really? be. Uh, yeah, it's definitely disappointing how they use him. Um, 
there's just so much focus. At one point, I'm like, why am I watching uh, Aquafina go get fingerprints in a police station? For it's just like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's I, it's baffling that you have this is what you do with this property to set it in this weird crime story, like and like a borderline superhero movie, like Renfield eats bugs that give him temporary superpowers. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna lie, it kind of sounds badass to me. I'm not gonna lie. I, yeah, listen. <laughs> Some people have enjoyed it. I've seen plenty of views where like this is this is fun. I like the some of the violence, like the over the top gory violence is kind of yeah. How was the action in the horror? Like was it like it wasn't scary? The is, there's it's not scary at all. I don't think it's that for it's, yeah. and it's the horror would be from like how gory it can be. People getting their arms chopped off and like there's a pretty crazy little set piece in an apartment complex, like a fight that's very like bloody and violent and people getting mm-hmm. like. Just, but a lot of CGI blood, so I feel like it has no impact. It's like, um, it's, I mean, it's fine. That's the kind of stuff where I perked up a little bit, but I was just like, again, like, what are we doing here? And like, I don't think mm-hmm. it's funny. I think, listen, I think it was this <laughs> podcast, though. I, I laugh a lot. I'm an easy laugh. I think I chuckled like three times in this movie. I was Jesus. not laughing much at all. I was like, oof, this is bad. And um, I just, I, the thing I'm most, baffled by will keep scratching my head is like how they landed on doing this with this property <laughs> and the worst thing is they set you up in the first the very beginning of the movie they have nick cage and nicholas holt reenact like scenes from the 1931 the ghosty dracula in black and white and it's like oh this is great and that's mm-hmm. that's the last you'll see of that <laughs> like don't get too attached to that shit because it's gonna be uh neon colored new orleans and crime uh, some gang running the city who i don't care about like um it's it's just i i thought it was an insane misfire like i just cannot believe this is what they landed on um and some people have been having a good time with it i saw people today on twitter again saying stuff like you know um <laughs> that they loved you know they thought it was a great time and maybe maybe now that i have talked some people and like reset expectations maybe you'll like enjoy it more because you're like well matt told me what it was going to be going in i i don't think i knew what it was going to be going into it i expected way more like i don't even uh, think the trailer knew what was going to be going in no i don't think <laughs> it looks like <laughs> it's uh it's just yeah i don't know i i maybe that would help like but it um just not what i want from this kind of movie like i just don't i just don't uh i thought it'd be more funny they focused on nicholas holt and nick cage and like nicholas holt being in like a because uh, he goes to support groups for like people in like kind of abusive relationships or you know in like with mm-hmm. bad people and like um there's an interesting idea there I, i'm not giving too much away because again the movie like there were a couple like, sorry to cut you off matt oh, but yeah, there were a couple of positive reviews that i did see that were like this movie is a commentary on toxic relationships it just this time it's from renfield's perspective with dracula and like that in of itself i'm like okay that sounds like a good reason why someone would like this even if I wasn't like I, I, I kind of figured with the mixed reception on Ron's Tomatoes and stuff. Not that I am slavish to it, but I was like, okay, like I didn't think, I didn't think like, like three of y'all would like hate this as much as y'all did. Cause like I like, cause like everyone else I see, they're just like, oh, you know, it's fun. You know, at the ver- the very worst I've seen besides this conversation is like, okay, it's decent, but like. Yeah, I, I, I am. <laughs> yeah, I, cause so going back to what you said on Aquafina, um, I'm curious why they didn't just like if you're gonna make everything a little more metastasized between subplots, 
how about instead of like the mob killed her dad, how about who you don't know? How about like Dracula killed her dad? And then that's a more yeah. gag way to like that's better. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, you should have written this. They could they could have used you one another draft. Um, uh, yeah, that would actually make a lot more sense. Um, there's a better movie there if it focused on like Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage's Dracula and their relationship. And like there was an interesting mm-hmm. idea of like Nicholas Holt going to the support group and listening to people talk about like their abusive. Like I think a girl, uh, he's talking uh, like a woman talking about her boyfriend being like an abusive, I think drug dealer or something. So Nicholas Holt goes and like eats his weird bugs to give him superpowers and, and then he like <laughs> kills the guys and takes them to dracula to, like feet so he's like two birds one stone it's like i got rid of right. this terrible person and i still can appease dracula um that's interesting and then it's like i don't know i was i went with my friend ken been on the show many times ken walker uh texas ranger and he <laughs> uh, <laughs> i was worried walking out that i'm gonna be the bad guy and be like i didn't like that but even ken didn't like it ken was like he was trying to be nice. I think he was like, it was okay. But then I think uh, today I talked to him again. He was like, no, not good. He was like, not good. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that me, Ken, and Hayden, I think between the three of us, I thought if you told me like, w- uh, I would think one of us would like it. But the fact that all three right. of us didn't like it, uh, I was like, oof. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I, I was watching the movie just baffled at like all the choices they made. Because um, just- I'm going I'm to go see it. Like, I don't know if I'll have time to see it like this weekend in theaters and if i do miss out on it i will be seeing it like on vod because i'm a nicholas cage fan like i'm a nicholas holt fan like i feel like i need this movie like in my eye sockets i just do (laughs) so it's but like you're what you're saying (laughs) is to get a positive out of it i do think you have tempered you know you've kind of let me know what the movie is so maybe i'll come out and be like oh no guys like i like action movies and i like dracula so i liked it i don't know i, uh, I but i like uh, those things too i just think that it's like i don't know i think it's more how it's written and you know, <laughs> the, the script, I, there's some bad acting but there's bad lines to be delivered so you know who knows whose fault it really is um Oof. i don't know i don't know i hope you like it more than i did but uh um Something I liked a little better than Renfield that I saw, um, <laughs> The Pope's Exorcist with Russell Crowe, which was, <laughs> I, I saw Lindsay, I think, on my side, too. I think Lindsay really liked it. Uh, I, it listen, I'm not going to say it's a great movie. I'm not going to say it's a great movie, but they had a good time with it. And Russell Crowe was, like, having a blast, it seems like, as mm-hmm. um, he's having fun with it, which you need. He's a little, like, chewing the scenery a little bit, but not too much. Um and apparently this is based on like a real uh exorcist like the vatican's like top exorcist apparently he wrote a book because i was like this is based on a real story <laughs> i mean who knows but uh i mean based on something so um he's like a top exorcist of the vatican um and there's a family the, the quick description here uh alex esso who i really like who pops up in a lot of horror stuff Midnight Mass, The Haunting, uh, was she in Hill House or Blind, Man- Blind Manor? Oh, snap. Okay. Dr. Sleep, wow. uh, uh, Starry Eyes, which I, she's great. So she's like a real like horror icon at this point. She's in everything. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, shit. I was like, I didn't even recognize her for a few minutes. I was like, oh, it's Alex Esso. And she's playing a mom, which I thought was weird. I was like, how old is Alex Esso? She's still so young. But she's playing a mom <laughs> to like teenage girl, young boy. 
um they it's a very like horror movie trope like they in, they inherit a creepy old house <laughs> and they inherit this creepy old house that's uh i believe in spain and uh Ooh, the okay. dad died so they and they have no money so they move to the place in spain it's getting fixed up and things go wrong like with it the construction crew leaves because it's like the place is weird the son gets possessed this all happens very quickly by the way like i appreciate the pace at which this movie moved because i feel like a lot of exorcism possession movies like take a little too long to set up the 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 possession basically but uh they're mm-hmm. basically there for like a day and the kids possess like they do not like they don't fuck around with like um getting to that point of it um and then uh it seems like a really powerful demon and it's like you know basically russell crowe gets sucked in it basically asks for him and uh he goes there and uh and then it's just him trying to help this family and crazy stuff happens got a wild finale i thought uh um the pope is played by franco nero which i really appreciate <laughs> i did notice that from the trailer i was like ooh, and, and i just rewatched john wick chapter two so i was like okay yeah. franco nero's on the brand yeah he's come full That's circle awesome. too because i think in chapter two of john wick he's like have you come to kill the, the, the continental rome yeah. yeah yeah and now he's like playing the pope it all came full circle so he uh um that's fun i like seeing him pop up i i had a good time with it i think it strikes the right balance of like be kind of taking itself material seriously but it knows it's kind of over the top and silly and like um it's julius avery who i he did a movie called overlord i really like which seems like a movie a lot of people are mixed on or don't like but i really liked overlord and i he did this and i think it's it's he did a pretty good job and uh yeah, I had a good time. I also, I thought it was funny at the end, minor, very minor spoiler, they set up the possibility of like 199 sequels. That's all I'll say. <laughs> 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 well, I'll tell you more off mic if you want to know, but they set up possibility. I thought it was funny because it's so like clearly franchise setting. I'm like, they're like, we could, <laughs> I'm just like, wow, they just basically said like, we could do 199 more of these if we want to. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's a, that's a bold uh, claim. But yeah, it's a, uh... It's fun. I really had a good time with it. So, um, yeah, I was glad I saw that. It's not. It's not like gonna blow you away, but it. You know, absolutely. Like, but it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, and, and way and more. You sold way, it. You sold it. You really. Well, thank have. you. It's especially compared to Renfield, which I saw later today. I was like, Pope's Exorcist at least is like focused and like knows what it <laughs> wants to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that it's just yeah. So. <sighs> It's very silly, but it's fun. Um, that was really all <laughs> I had. So we can get into Demolition Man. Uh, and I, you know what's funny? I was like, how do we come to this again? Because we kicked around like multiple Stallone ideas for a long time. <laughs> like Stallone kept circling uh, ideas. Like I think at one point you pitched like a Cobra, Tango, and Cash double. Which... Yeah. Well, it was when, so... Um... Uh, it was over a year ago. It was like kind of when you and I like first started like, you know, messaging on like Twitter, going back and forth. And you're like, hey, you know, like, would you, you know, ever like to come on a show at some point? And I, I, and I had already been a film feast listener uh, by that point. So it was one of those things where um, I kind of knew like, okay, what the vibe of the show is, like, kind of what it is. And um, I knew just based on your love of like Last Action Hero that you loved like 90s action, but also like Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I was like, okay, he's probably in some way, shape or form a fan of Stallone. Uh, Cause like Sloan's always been one of my guys. 
Uh, and uh, so I kicked up. So uh, for some reason, I went all in with the kitchen sink. I was like, ooh, why don't we do a double of Cobra and Tango and Cash? Yeah. And then <laughs> and then um, I think the further we got into it, like more things came up. Of course, we, you know, we've covered a couple of other movies from the 90s and we've done the guest before, which is awesome. So and I think where I was at, uh, I was like, OK, maybe next time we come on, we do one movie just based on time, but you know, it's how about Demolition Man? Because um, my thought was there's a lot to this movie. In addition to being a '90s action movie, it's um, it's become kind of a cult film. It's a science fiction movie. Um, I feel like you have history with it. I, I definitely have history with it, where I can recite so many of the lines just by, you know, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life, both seconds of it. Like, it's just, it's just so, <laughs> it's just, like, it's such an audacious, bold movie that through all of its lack of subtlety, it's kind of a, a prescient piece of fiction, which I think is really rad. Yeah, it's uh well you were right that I like Stallone. That was a good call. <laughs> like definitely a fan of him. And then I was so excited about that double and then Demolition Man and um Demolition Man definitely I think uh ahead of its time <laughs> as uh not just as a future movie, just because it's it was like kind of meta. I and I I'm gonna jump right into this if you don't mind. I was you know, sure. Last Action Hero. I'm always thinking about Last Action Hero. And this is the same. <laughs> this is 93, the same year as Last Action Hero. And I think it's very interesting that Stallone and Schwarzenegger do like their two kind of meta or kind of, you know, kind of more off the wall ideas of action movies the same year. And then today I was really thinking about there's weird parallels between the two because. The openings mm-hmm. both come in with like a really cool introduction to the main character versus his like arch nemesis, but then like a tragedy occurs in in, in Last Night Hero, uh, his son dies. In this movie, Stallone messes up and doesn't know there's hostages in the building when it gets blown up, and then it sets mm-hmm. off the whole the whole movie. Uh, and then there's even it's funny because the other thing there's like the meta joke about. Stallone being in Terminator 2 and Last Action Hero and yep. being like, what? He was great in that movie. And like, uh, is that supposed to be you? And then in Demolition Man, there's the whole, I forgot about this joke, about the Schwarzenegger presidential library. Yeah. Where <laughs> Bullock's like, yeah, he was a president. He was an actor in your time, right? And I'm like, this is weird parallels. Like, did we know this was happening at the same time? Like, and I feel like there's always jokes about they kind of knew what they was doing work-wise because that, that story that may or may not be true, but I just want it to be true because it's funny to me that they offered Schwarzenegger stop or my mom will shoot and <laughs> he didn't want to do it, but he pretended like he did so that Stallone would jump on it and he did. And then it was a massive bomb. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> like he was like always messing with Stallone, like, um, cause they were always in competition. So I just thought it was very interesting today picking up on those, those extra parallels of like, because these movies both cost, I think they made about the same or cost about the same, maybe both. And uh, although I think last year made more, I can't remember, but they they both didn't do great for them, but they both become like beloved movies. Yeah. Came out, and they, they do kind of like cult followings now. And like, like was Demolition Man, I guess, just too, it just seems like it was too, like, I don't know, weird for people at the time. I don't think it's that weird, but I, you know, just the ideas of like, uh, too jokey maybe i don't know i'm trying to 
think about this day. I was like, why did this not work for people? Because I think I it's think, very fun. <laughs> I think there's a couple of things. And and watching it today, you know, much like you, it, I, I feel like it kind of, this viewing really kind of recontextualized how I have always, how I saw the movie beforehand. I was like, huh, like, why didn't this why didn't this connect with people but and why does it hit for so many people now and i think there's two big things i think one you look at the poster you look at how the movie was marketed it's stallone versus snipes and you know it's it's wesley snipes right as he was like um because i can't remember if passenger 57 was like after this or before um but um it was definitely after yeah okay it was before okay perfect so it was the, Pastor 57 and uh, definitely New Jack City, like uh, Snipes had kind of came on the scene after Mo Better Blues and stole a whole movie from Denzel. And then they were putting him in these crime movies, these action movies. And uh, Snipes had kind of this like thing about him that made him perfect for someone whose career, even though I love 80s Stallone, like his career, by that point, by the early 90s, he had kind of, he started, you know, falling out of favor, favor with e even audiences. Um, uh, and he was doing a, a couple of comedies, one of which I actually do really like. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Oscar, the uh, the, the John Landis movie. but Still haven't um, seen Oscar. I want to, but I have not seen it yet. <laughs> it's underrated, I think. It's, it's, like a, it's like a throwback to, like, both, like, 30s gangster movies and screwball comedies kind of mashed together. Um, um, Kurtwood Smith is like doing like the RoboCop thing, except he's the lawman going after Stallone. It's it's pretty it's a pretty fun movie. I, I like it a lot, but that didn't work for people at the time. And so um, I think when you look at the poster, and it's like okay, Stallone versus Snipes. But then you sit down and watch the movie, and it's very much it's very much the work of the writer behind Heather's and Batman Returns, and mm -hmm. where his name, Daniel Waters and, and where you have this cult screenwriter making this action movie. That's kind of a commentary on the types of movies that Sloan and Snipes, Snipes were making, but it never really becomes a spoof. Like, even though there are jokes that are very much of the time and there are definitely references that, you know, date the movie in a charming manner. It, it's, it's way more concerned with predicting the future and predicting I think by extension of what it's doing, almost predicting the future of where action movies would go, because this is easily the most fantastical of, of the Stallone uh, of vehicles um, by a margin, uh, just, you know, with the science fiction satire nature of it, but also the fact that he's kind of mocking himself, whether or not his performance is in on the joke or not is, is left up to subjectivity. But I think, I think it's all of these weird things coming together in this like kind of clumpy gumbo. Uh, <laughs> I like that clumpy gumbo. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there's a little bit of seasoning with some of the, the cast members, you know, like it does help that the action I do think is really fun and really well done, but it, it really, it really coalesces into something that's really aged in, in, in a beautiful relic of the time. And it, it's, legitimately one of the big reasons why I was excited to talk to you about it, Matt was like, it's literally one of my favorite movies. Like there were so many times during uh, lockdown in 2020 where I just threw this on and I just like laughed myself silly um, and just clapped at the movie and had such a fun time because that's what this is. It's a cartoon. 
And um, it's a movie that I've grown up with. Like it's a movie that um, whenever my uh, older relatives were like, embarrass me with GoldenEye N64, they would throw this on on VHS and we would just like be glued to the screen. Like, and, and that was like way back in like the late nineties, early two thousands. So it's a movie that's been with me for a very long time. Um, I think kids like that, like, like kind of at that impressionable age, like, I think, I think the movie clicks <laughs> maybe more people of a certain generation at the time than, than it did when it came out. But I, I definitely think it's a, an expectations game. And, um, also the director's not super respected. Like he's not some auteur. Like he's not, he's not even John McTiernan who made last action hero. Like he, he, <laughs> yeah, he seemingly comes out of nowhere. I was going to bring this up later, but you just, you just brought it up. So Marco, uh, Brambilla, uh, who, from what I can tell, uh, his IMDb <laughs> did like nothing before this. I think I read somewhere else that he did a little bit of TV directing, but like on his IMDb, mm-hmm. it just looks like he just literally jump straight into directing a $60 million Stallone Snipes movie. <laughs> and you're like, how the fuck did that happen? Like who gave him, who gave him that responsibility? Um, I think he does. I think he does a fine job. I don't, you know, it's like, um, Oh, sure. I'm sure it wasn't easy. It's like a lot of personalities, the big budget project. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think he does a, does a bad job or anything. I just was like looking again. I was like, wait, I've never looked at Marco Brambilla's, uh, you know what his history was and like he didn't do much uh after this either he didn't do much at all before <laughs> so it's like this well is david bizarre. fincher was the one who recommended him to joel silver so i feel like interesting kind of okay. yeah <laughs> Apparently, i guess i didn't know that they talked yeah fincher and uh silver so <laughs> <laughs> probably in between lines of coke because i feel like <laughs> uh, yeah probably it was like yeah yeah david yeah this is all right cool like this this marco guy but 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 like i feel like that kind of does make sense just because the, with the little research i did do on marco uh brambilla he um he apparently shot like tv commercials which is analogous to Fincher in the sense that Fincher did like music videos and commercials before he became, you yeah. know, the, the, the legend that he is now. And um, like, I, I feel like it being a def, I feel like the fact that it has so much stuff kind of being thrown at the walls as a production and as, even just on a script level, like it makes sense that, okay, Joel Silver would bring a guy on who's not like, kind of like a George P. Cosmatos, but even, less so not lesser than because i do think he does a really competent job in this movie but yeah i i do think you do need a guy who has attention to detail because uh just in the first act alone i think by the time you get to like i think i clocked it like minute uh 32 of the movie like we've already been so much of the world has already been set up and the bulk of the the characters we follow have already been set up and i think you really need a visual acumen to sell uh the premise and to sell the universe and i think brambilla really does that and um i don't want to spend too much time on this because it's controversial but like or the subject is but he did direct kanye west power video which uh is (laughs) is a really is a really rad video so yeah (laughs) i mean that that is a good video i know i know what you're talking about yeah that uh um yeah, I guess it makes sense. He's a music video guy, which I don't think show up on IMDb, and I think a little TV. So it's like a stylish guy who can like, yeah, they probably were like, get me, you know, get me somebody, uh, 
kind of unknown but it's one of those i'm surprised i didn't hear about like stallone like taking over the production or something you know what i mean like from a guy that really didn't yeah. have any pull but uh i didn't really think about that but um yeah i think he does a fine job i think it like looks good it's not like the most amazingly directed movie but it's definitely uh gets a job done so um i just thought that was interesting because i was like who where did this guy come from <laughs> so you know um <laughs> it's weird and then he has to do much afterwards so it's like that was a weird blip on the radar but um but yeah it it comes out i it's funny because like somebody said this was framed as like a, a decent win for stallone but then like Last Action Hero is framed as like a, a big loss for Schwarzenegger, even though they're comparable in budget and box office. And I think someone asked uh, Roger Ebert, of all people, was like, why do you think that is? Why do you think like Demolition Man is like being looked at as a win for Stallone and like a and Last Action Hero is like a loss for Schwarzenegger? And it's like, well, I think it's where they were the past couple of years, because like Schwarzenegger coming mm -hmm. off of, you know, the one of the biggest movies of all time in Terminator 2 and, and many successes before that. Uh, that even Latin Hero was like a slip up. It's like, oh my God, he he's you know he he misfired. Like, how is that possible? He's the biggest star in the world, and Stallone's like coming off of like Oscar and stop my mom will shoot, and yep. like he does have cliffhanger the same year, which does really well. But I think he's still in like right. recovery mode. So I think they're still like, oh yeah, he's back on the up and up. Like the fact that it wasn't like a complete disaster, I guess, was still like, oh yeah, he's doing fine, you know. So um, well, I think I think too Stallone had like a series of like stinkers before, because even before uh, Oscar, he had a. Uh, um, let, there was like Rambo three and like uh, I think Rocky, Rocky five. five was yeah, yeah. nineteen ninety and like the, Stallone was that's the thing is that like uh, um, St Stallone had kind of and this is what I think is so interesting about the movie and one of the big reasons I wanted to I've always wanted to talk to you about it is because you look at Stallone's career in the eighties particularly First Blood Part two and Ram and Rocky four and I pair those movies together in my mind often because that's kind of where the successes of those movies, for one thing, you know, it, it was the second Rambo, even though it was, it's, it's where that series became more ripe for parody. It was a big financial success. And so that series sustained and it kind of beat the, the waning critical consensus that, that already that has kind of, been the ghost behind the, the Rambo series for a long time, even though action fans love it. But the point I'm making is that with Rambo, uh, with Rocky four, I keep mixing franchises. Sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> uh, with Rocky four and we all know Stallone beat the cold war and whatnot. Um, that really proved that there was a market for uh, filmmaking with conservative ideals. And it's one of those things where um, I think those movies were such a huge hit and they're so particularly Rocky four was such a generational defining movie for people that and uh, the original top gun the following year um, that Stallone was kind of rebranded as this all American icon when, you know, this guy began the decade doing stuff like first blood, which is very critical of, of that kind of thing. And so I feel like, you go from that to getting very maximalistic to what, where people saw as like declining and he started becoming that like kind of, uh, you know, not to be super political on your podcast. Sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, really, I feel like every time I'm on film piece, I talk about race relations and politics and movies. I'm so sorry, but I think this is, <laughs> I think this is important because, it's this guy who is seen as this maximalist 
conservative icon uh, for a long t- for a short window of time, he starts trickling down and making these increasingly dumber action movies, uh, uh, sillier comedies that don't connect with with a big audience as much. While Arnie, it, for all intents and purposes, is is staying consistent with the likes of Predator, definitely Terminator Two, definitely Total Recall, and obviously. You know, after Last Action Hero, you know, say what you will. I love it, but say what you will. But then the next year you get True Lies, which is a big hit for that era. So it's one of those things where um, you watch Demolition Man from that vantage point and you're watching the biggest icon of, of, of 80s conservatism in film having to battle a world where there is no sex and violence and it's sanitized. And he's chasing after this like kind of dark mirror of himself embodied by snipes and they're both learning how to grapple and come to terms with their place in this faux utopia that's not really a utopia and i think as a science fiction movie yes it's silly but in terms of the overall commentary of taking an action star putting him in a fish out of water situation I think looking at it as a true Stallone vehicle and as a meta version of a Stallone vehicle, I think that nexus goes far beyond what a traditional, you know, action meta parody would be. And I think that's why this movie has survived so much. Yeah, I think there's just a lot more to get out of it than like just a straightforward action movie. I think that helps it a lot. I It's funny because I was watching today and thinking um, that I remember last time I watched this, probably only a year or two ago, that it... I, I never thought this before, I don't think, but like the movie kind of starts to lose me a little bit. I would say around like when we get to like the last kind of act of the movie. And it's like the when it becomes more just a straight up action movie, when it becomes like basically mm-hmm. they're 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 underground, and once they kind of get back up, there's a car chase and they get to the big finale. I do like the last fight uh quite a bit, but oh, I yeah. was like the movie starts to lose me a little bit because I think I realized, oh, you kind of lost all the the fun social commentary, the jokes, and it becomes like a, and I didn't realize this till day. It becomes very chopped up at that point because apparently the movie was supposed to be much longer. Like it was like, I think maybe two and a half hours. And mm-hmm. Joel Silver, I think was like, Hey, cut it down. So he brought in Stuart Baird, who was like a, Oh yeah. A known like uh editor. To, <laughs> I would call him like a movie doctor because they bring him in uh to, I say, I say air quotes, fix things, but like to kind of, tighten things up basically like i can't remember what else i just was reading he oh he has the he has like the he has like the greatest editing career ever like uh, (laughs) yeah like like literally from the 70s the omen superman and then uh outland and uh which is a cult film and then of course lethal weapon (laughs) tango and cash as a supervisor then lethal weapon 2 die hard 2 oh wow okay last boy scout um Oh, that might have been that might have been the one I'm thinking of where they brought him in to like help. Yeah. Any any I showed him a little Tokyo. I think he helped on that one. Um Casino Royale, Skyfall. Executive um, decision. I think they had like oh he directed yeah. that one actually. He so, directed that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I know he became a director at one point. Um yeah, I mean he just comes in and uh yeah, they bring him in to like kind of save stuff. Uh, I say save stuff, but you know, like to uh, touch uh, put things together basically. <laughs> and uh and they apparently they started cutting a lot out of the back section. So it's like the underground section and the stuff past it is a lot of the stuff where things got cut. I think I really started to feel that 
mm-hmm. in the past couple of viewings where I'm like, oh, I can tell where this kind of got chopped up uh, quite a bit, where it's like moving really quickly. Because um, there's a whole subplot, <laughs> which I don't know if you're right this or not, because there's a whole mystery. It's almost a whole separate thing where about Stallone's daughter in the movie. Um, yes. And, and I, and I, I think that's what I was going to bring up. Like when you mentioned the back half was chopped off. Cause I do agree with you. I think the first half is a bit stronger. Um, and what, one of the only things that legitimately bothers me about this movie legitimately <laughs> is that, um, uh, you know, when Stallone comes out cryo freeze and, um, cause I think this movie, I think the first act of this movie does such kind of an eloquent job of exposition um, with the exception of um, um, what's his name, uh, Zach Lamb, Bill Cobb's character. Um, oh, Bill Cobb. He's like the exposition machine because he's like the old yeah. guy who, like, the only one that remembers anything. Even though it's only it's only been thirty six years, which is like it's a long time, <laughs> but it's not a it's not an eternity. You know what I mean? Like that's like if I that, that's like saying like nobody around today would remember anything post like nineteen eighty five. You know, or pre nineteen eighty five. It's like oh, I don't remember the. Uh, the VGs, like I don't know. It's like, what are we doing? Um, it's not that long. He ago. says, like, he literally says, "Well, Sam Simon Phoenix is an old-fashioned villain, so you need an old-fashioned cop." It's like, oh my god, man. yeah, they gave him real heavy lifting. But Bill Cobb is, they're like, he's a good actor; he could do it. I, I feel like I believe it more coming from Bill Cobb than anybody. Um, oh sure, sure. I no, like I love him in the movie. And, yeah, I do like when him and Stallone see each other too, though. Where Stallone's like, kind of recognizes him. He's like, oh yeah, you. uh a rookie guy you know like um that's that's fun i mean bill cobb is t- if you're gonna give anybody that kind of dialogue give it to an actor like him who's like you know i believe it covered him even though it's kind of it's kind of ham-fisted but uh um there was that whole the whole thing with like Sloan's daughter they keep dancing around it and they never answer the question and then mm-hmm. it leads people to do this weird fan theory i heard for years where it's like oh my god is is sandra bullock actually his daughter i was like well i, I hope not <laughs> like, I don't yeah that'll be like, weird that's <laughs> creepy uh why do you all think that and then i found out i mean i was doing some research that um they had shot uh he was supposed to meet his daughter in the underground she would be part of that group basically um i think they even see her in i think you see her briefly in the cut um like uh, that they don't really acknowledge it though. Like she's, you can see the person who's supposed to play her. I think she's even in the end too, when they're all standing around, like Dennis Leary and his gang all come out. Um, but they don't really acknowledge that it's Stallone's daughter. It's weird. So they had to cut that all up. So um, there is a daughter. It's not Sandra Bullock. That's that theory does not hold water. So uh, <laughs> thank like, God. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't want that to be true. So that whole that whole subplot got cut, which would have been interesting to keep in. I think. Uh, for him to meet his daughter, but uh, they just were like, eh, dump all <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's some stuff that gets lost in the end. And, I, you know, I, I just think the first part is so interesting because I love all the stuff about just finding out the things about how the world operates in 2032 with all the weird, you know, stuff they do now. Like, everything is just the three seashells, of course. That everything is, every restaurant Ooh. is Taco Bell is an amazing joke. Like, it's so cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, funny um, thing about that, I don't know if you read the trivia on that one. Uh, goodness, this, this is a very trivia-heavy episode, I'm noticing. <laughs> like, cause Just because there's a lot to the making of this movie, too. Uh, because um, I think originally in the script, Waters wrote that it was going to be like either McDonald's. Like, it started off as Burger King, and then Burger King turned it down. So like they 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 addressed McDonald's as the product placement. I think, I think they may have turned it down. I'm not sure. But then Taco Bell 
when they were contacted by Warner Brothers, they immediately were like, oh, yeah, we're going to be a part of this movie as the winner of the Restaurant Wars. And it's like, okay, Taco Bell would be the one. Like, yeah, right. Because, right, yeah, that's the grossest one. But, <laughs> but yeah. Really good when it's like middle of the night and you're maybe a little drunk and you want Taco Bell. <laughs> it's funny, too, because... I think Taco Bell's profile was way um, lower in 93 because they mentioned in the other part of the trivia with that whole Taco Bell thing was like in foreign markets, um, it was changed to Pizza Hut because Taco Bell's like virtually at that time was like virtually unknown outside of the States. So <laughs> they changed it to Pizza Hut in the other uh, parts of the world. Um, I think they've gotten a lot bigger since then, but it's like it's such a such a funny joke that it's like they she said they won the franchise wars and now every restaurant's taco bell it's like okay uh i love i was thinking that too i was like i wrote down my notes one of the few notes i wrote was like wait if every restaurant's taco bell wouldn't they get really confusing like what taco bell really be specific <laughs> it's like i'm going to taco bell on ninth street yeah don't know the other one like if every like i'm probably way overthinking this whole thing but uh but it just i just made me laugh i was like it's a very silly joke but i really enjoy it <laughs> Oh yeah, it, it's one of those things where it's like, like the first time John Spartan hears, like, "Oh yeah, we're going to a restaurant." Wait, which one? Oh, Taco Bell. It's like, wait, what? And then every restaurant's Taco Bell. I, I will say, when they are in that Taco Bell, that's some of my favorite humor in the whole movie because I think one of the patrons is like, "What would you say if I called you a brutish fossil, symbolic of a decayed era, gracefully forgotten?" I don't know. Thanks. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, I just, I just love uh, Stallone's like co contrast with like everybody else in the movie. Cause everyone, like the characters in this movie, like everyone is so eager in their own different way. Like the way, like what I think there's a good, I think Brambilla, uh, I'll give him credit on this one. Cause I think he actually does a good job in differentiating the energies of the performances. I think too often in genre movies, like, kind of the performances will kind of run together and, and that's where characters become forgettable whereas the cops played by sandra bullock and benjamin bratt and rob snyder like they're all <laughs> of a certain they're all of a certain uh -huh. energy and then you and then you you know you look at like uh what dr Coteau is doing uh with him and the guy from beetlejuice uh, i forgot the actor's name immediately oh, but uh, um uh, glenn <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. What what they're doing, they're very, very much more regal. They're very much more in line with like a legitimate science fiction movie than than something like this. They're almost too good for this material, which is why they're they're amazing as which is why, you know, uh, Nigel Hawthorne is amazing as as like kind of the 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 secret antagonist of the whole thing. And um then you get into Dennis Leary and the and the I call them the mole men, where um <laughs> when, you, when Stallone finally, when John Spartan finally meets Dennis Leary, and and Dennis Leary has that amazing rant, it pretty much feels <laughs> yeah. like Dennis Leary's stand up. I was I gonna say, oh yeah, this is Dennis Leary doing his stand up routine in the movie. Like, uh, I want to, I want a cigar uh, a mile long. I want to eat cheeseburgers and run naked, covered in green jello, with a Playboy. <laughs> it's like, wow, they were like, just riff, Dennis. We'll just get all of it. Uh, I mean, it's a good. It's a good rant. It works. It really does work for what they're doing. It just thought it was funny. I was like, he's just doing his own <laughs> shtick here. He's just doing his, like, his own thing. Well, even when um, uh, uh, they run into Bill, like everyone runs into Bill Gunson, Bob Gunson at the end from the Shawshank Redemption as the police chief. 
um, he's just like he's just asking them like where what do y'all need guns so much like why do y'all like guns and then Dennis Leary's like I use a gun to go get groceries and it's just like what the <laughs> it's like, like all at right the end, they're like or whichever way ahead to the end but uh I feel like people know you know spoilers but uh they it's like I love at the end they're all like what do we do now like no one knows what to do with themselves at that point the, the police chief he just mentioned it's like I don't what do we do it's like <laughs> yeah yeah it, and it's it's one of the I think it's one of the most like interesting uses of like not knowing in a movie like the movie ends like an action movie obviously like it, you know the 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 bad guys are killed you know the the day is saved by the utopia being demolished and I kept thinking of like Thor Ragnarok just with the <laughs> fact that the fact that you know at the end of that movie it's like Thor figures out okay Asgard's not necessarily places of people. So instead of doing the Marvel thing of, you know, typically of blowing up a city, how about we just tear everything up and then live out in the outskirts? And I think that's a very salient, honest way of inverting the, the formula. And I think it works here um, because, yeah, I think Dennis Leary and John Spartan, like those characters get along because this uh, this whole movie is kind of like, the 80s action heroes nightmare it's like you can't you know you there's no sex you can't use profanity there's no violence i think sandra bullock in the movie <laughs> she says like no alcohol caffeine sports meat it's like dude like come it's on man a nightmare yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then she also says too like like you, like you can't have abortions and you can't be pregnant but it has to be licensed and i was and i and that made me think, uh, because I live in Texas, it's just like, Jesus, like, Daniel Waters is just, like, spewing off, like, uh, just, like, truth after truth after truth. And, and in a way, it's, it's the truth is ugly, but it's, it's very much here in this, in this really gonzo, you know, 90s movie. But, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's still weirdly topical at this time. <laughs> like, still, yeah, still, the stuff like that where I'm like, ooh, that's still, that's going on now. You know, it's like, oh, it's so... Uh, yeah, it's that's probably why it's aged so well. It's like some of the stuff is still, <laughs> you know, we're still dealing with it. Um, it's weird. To, yeah, I mean, you bring that up, and it's like that feels again not to get too political, but I think it's funny because <laughs> I feel I feel like some people could look at this Spike Lee's Demolition Man. My bad. Yeah, Matt, I'm sorry. <laughs> some people could look at this and be like, oh, it's like a liberal utopia. But then some people could look. That part is very conservative about the abortion. So it's like it's a weird mix of. Uh, you know, politics into this, this future society where it's like, well, it's not working for a few reasons, but one, because it's kind of built on a bunch of bullshit, you know, it's like, it's like <laughs> people are suffering and like the main yeah. guy is putting on this front and he's brought somebody <laughs> out to, to kill Dennis Leary. I mean, Wesley Sipes and, um, you know, it's just all kind of, uh, kind of a, a bunch of bullshit. Basically. I think Dennis Leary really says it too. Um, and just, if you don't really have, the freedom to do anything it's like you know obviously we all want uh some more stricter gotta get more too political like restrictions <laughs> on some things freedoms you know but like swearing and eating meat and uh these things don't harm anyone you know what i mean so uh to restrict that kind of stuff is like well that's just silly but um you know i, just I think yeah my bad my bad i was just no, gonna say i was just rambling so that's fine uh it's good. <laughs> Well, because even when uh, uh, Wesley Snipes is going through the the museum and he he finds the Hall of Violence, wink wink, 
Um, and and I I'm, I think it's Nigel Thorne who's narrating. I'm not sure, but the 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 museum the, the automatic museum voice is like you know yeah like in the the uh, God in the 21st century uh, was permeated by all these like disasters and and uh, uh, <laughs> urban discrepancies and stuff like. And I'm just like oh my goodness like the way the way you are laying thick like the 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 wars and the violence of like our era is just on one end it's like heavy handed because it needs to be heavy handed. The story demands that, but also, yeah, like that's kind of, that's kind of the world we live in. That's that, that's a realistic society is the, if you're going to have a free flowing confluence of ideas clashing together, you're going to get war. You're going to get aggression, discourse, all these things. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's, that's super fascinating. And I, I think part of that too, just it, it 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 comes from the script because uh, I think Daniel Waters has said before that uh, I don't know about now, but I think during the during the era that he was writing this, um, he was politically very much in the middle. So I think you're kind of meant to 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 mull over and puzzle over the the conflicts between the more conservative stuff and then the kind of like uh doe-eyed liberalism of it where I mean, and then i think, feel like it's a good mix of like if someone's actually in the middle like this actually feels like somebody who's in the middle of of politics so yeah like the middle ground so i feel like you actually feel that in the movie yeah there's like some real like naive uh you know liberalism but then like some of the worst traits of conservatism so it's like <laughs> it's like oh great yeah. it's the worst of everything um so <laughs> it's uh I, that part i guess holds up well too because it's not really picking and it's not really playing any side it's like somebody coming from the middle it's like look how ridiculous both these sides can be um at things and yeah. you know and there's just uh, it's i mean it's just all supposed to be silly anyway and like um oh yeah i don't think it takes itself too seriously it's making like decent commentary it's like you know um so oh i, I do want to ask i some people like so people say this about wesley snipes movie that he's over the top what do you think of wesley snipes in the movie <laughs> Oh man, what do I think? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> not to lead, not to lead you or anything. I, I, I'll, I say I love him in the movie. I, I think he's like he is like straight up playing like a cartoon character. He's like a Looney Tune because I feel like he does stuff and then like runs off like laughing, like hee hee hee, like he like he's like, a, <laughs> like says like a one liner and disappears. He's like Wiley Coyote or something. Like he just like does some stuff and then like has a smart ass line after he does it. <laughs> like I love it. <laughs> Well, you didn't think it was serious when he says, like, towards the beginning, see you, sweetie, honey, sugar, you know, as he's taken away. <laughs> I, oh, my God, I fucking love him in this movie. I'm so glad you do, too, Matt. I think he is so much fun in this movie. Oh, man. He, because what I, okay, I get, so I get the complaints. I really do, because I do think the inclusion of a Simon Phoenix it's the greatest gift of this movie, but it's also its greatest curse. Because I think the reason why this movie is never going to be, perhaps to most taste, never going to be as lauded as like a Terminator or like a, a Lethal Weapon or a Rambo or something like that, is because um, is because like all those great action movies of yesteryear, they all have like some kind of legitimate threat that um, even though there's humor and like Die Hard and stuff like that, you still take the Hans Gruber's of those movies very seriously. 
Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this movie is constantly reminding you that it's a cartoon. I think with the soft RoboCop aspect of being in the middle ideologically, it does allow the script to make fun of, of both political spectrums, but also with the added bonus of Simon Phoenix, I personally think it works considering that in order for um, a John Spartan to even be logistically released from, from cryo, he has to have someone who's way more evil than he is because really ultimately, and this is why I find it interesting, him and Simon Phoenix technically kind of believe in the same thing where you, you just said, even yourself, you were like, I mean, technically it's kind of not bad if like they're all in the middle as a society. And that's kind of what Simon Phoenix, it's driving him nuts to the point where he's going insane. And I think the way he's programmed in cryo is making him that way because Dr. Cocteau is the person who gives him the ability to speak different languages in cryo. He gives him uh, martial arts skills. And he, of course, gives him the mission to kill Dennis Leary off. Whereas the only thing that he gives John Spartan in contrast, because John Spartan is already seen as a maverick, uh, a cobra, if you will, for his, even though he's on the good side, <laughs> technically, uh-huh. he's, he's, he's an antihero. Dr. Co- Cocteau is like, okay, here's the ability to knit and, and make blankets. Like, we don't, we don't give a shit about you, dude. <laughs> and so That's both men are... Too. Yeah, that he's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and both men are dejected in very, very distinct ways. And I think, yeah, just not just for the story, but just ideologically, you do need a John Spartan to, to exist, to, to question things and, um, uh, and, and to really provide a sense of provide a harsh reality to the to the to the clean reality that this movie operates in that's orchestrated by the villain but yeah like i i i say all that to say yeah I, i'm very pro Simon phoenix and also his <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's one of those things where he's just like you know he he just says so much wild stuff like i i mean it's oversaid, but like where he's just like, oh, Jeffrey Dahmer, I love that guy. It's like, what <laughs> villain says stuff like that? <laughs> yeah, I can't even, he has so many, I should have written him down because I don't remember, I'm very bad at remembering quotes for some reason. It's like my, <laughs> so in this last time, the Titanic episode, I talked to Hayden and Mark, it was like, quotes are not my strong suit for some reason, um, uh, unless they're super, super memorable. But uh, I, he, he just constantly shoots out like, jokey lines and I, most of them i think are funny um but he's really selling them he's got this like manic energy I and mean, he's got kind of a joker energy like i mean honestly he's got mm-hmm. but it's like if the joker fucking was an amazing martial artist too that's, that's <laughs> what i think that's what i think helps is like that was he snipes is like a physical threat too like he's not yeah. just like a um jokey kind of crazy guy it's like he literally you know, we know he's like an amazing martial artist in real life and he looks like one on screen. I remember I read something about how they had to have him slow down because he was moving too fast for the cameras with this martial arts. So they were like, hey, can you oh, punch really? and kick? Yeah, they were can you punch and kick like a little slower for the camera? <laughs> like you're going a little too fast. So um I mean just the fact that like I think he get I think he get away with all the over the top stuff because like physically it's like you know he's a threat, especially to John Spartan and uh I do have to redact. I do have to like walk back my a part of my statement there because I did say he's so cartoony that he's that you don't feel his threat. But you are right. I think the fact that because I kept noticing throughout the fight scenes, like anytime Stallone tries to go toe to toe with Phoenix, he always loses because he cannot keep up with this guy's 
kicks and punches. Like he's just so fast. And that's not Stallone's type of action. Like Stallone is the much more traditional, you know, kick punch, you know, gun kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, obviously like Stallone is, is, is one of our best physical actors. He's one of our best, you know, like, like physical icons period. Uh, Another reason why uh, I guess I was drawn to him as a kid. Cause like, it's like, how does a man look like that? Jesus. It's just like, (laughs) it's like, it's one of those things like, you know, uh, like, yeah. Like watching him in like the Rocky movies as a kid, it's like, how did he looks like christened from, from rock, like how, uh, literal Rocky, like, it's just like Jesus dude. But, um, yeah, like, and so you have, uh, you give him, you know, a nemesis who is way more Joker than he is. Cause Stallone's humor in this movie. It's like, he's always pissed off about something like, like even when constantly agitated about something. (laughs) Yeah. Even when like he's, he's driving the car, I think it's during the car chase. Like, cause Cause yeah, like I will say, like uh, even though I do really, really lo- love the second half of this movie, I-, I will admit it's not as strong. I do think there's some really great bits in there where uh, the car that he's riding in it starts malfunctioning, and he's just like, "Break, break, break now, you Mickey Mouse piece of shit!" It's just like, oh my god, it's just <laughs> so '90s action. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I still really enjoy the whole movie. I just I feel like that you know you that stuff setting up the stuff is so much fun and introducing all the parts of this world are so much fun that like uh you know i just think it loses a little bit of steam in the back half but i don't and it gets choppy but we we know why it's choppy because it is it's like they had to cut a lot of stuff out so um and all the characters agree in the second half pretty much like with the exception of bob gunton but like he's begrudgingly watching all of his like the people that he's uh that that are underneath him in the police force basically bend together and deject the utopia that he, that he pretty much swears by. So it, it, it makes sense. Cause yeah, like w- once people are like all, all on team Spartan, it's just like, okay. Yeah. Like it, it's, it, there's really no, it, the satire is still there, but like, it's not as there's no, there's not as much dramatic irony to feel more comedy as much. Yeah. I think is where yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. I uh, I do think it's funny because I've always thought of Schwarzenegger as being the guy who's better at comedy and Stallone. I don't think Stallone's like he's actually bad at comedy. I, he could be he could be funny, but I don't think he's as good as Schwarzenegger. But I think he's good in this because he just has to be kind of like annoyed and kind of blown away at how things work in this world. I think he's got some great reactions, like when he finds out basically uh, how they how they have sex in the future, <laughs> and he gets so. It's so funny because I brought this to my friend today that I was doing Demolition Man. I was like, oh, it's a good one, Demolition Man. And then he goes right to, for some reason, this was really stuck on his head. He goes, the, the stuff Harvey Stallone talking about actually having sex versus virtual sex. And he's like, the hunk of chunka. And I'm like, who calls it the hunk of chunka? <laughs> I was like, why? Uh, I just thought, <laughs> like, the, the mattress mambo, the hunk of chunka. Uh, it's just like, and then Stallone, just like all his reactions are great. Like to the the three seashells, of course. He like opens the door, and looks at him. And he's like, Ugh. like he just he has to be a little grouchy, a little bit annoyed by everybody, which is where the comedy comes from. I love the running gag of the swearing violation because you'll hear it. Oh yeah, in the back where they don't show it. Like there's there was like a scene with Leslie Snipes talking to uh, Nigel Hawthorne, 
and uh, he says something, and then in the background, you just hear it like one credit violation, Simon. Pe-. Like so, it's, it's, they, have, <laughs> they really keep up with that gag, which I really enjoy, and I do love. I don't think I've caught this before. Maybe I, maybe I just forgot the gag when Salome like says a bunch of. Uh, swear words and it's like because he finds out there's no toilet paper so he gets a bunch of the violation slips he goes all right there you go and then goes back to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah when he like actually when they actually you know figure out like okay when they actually start telling him like about the three seashells and he's just like all right fine like and then he starts saying like you god and then it just keeps going <laughs> oh you have activated the um god i forgot what it's called the uh the, it's not the profanity machine, but it's like, uh, yeah, it, it's. I can't remember. Oh, it. Yeah, it's something's to toot, but yeah, it's 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 so funny, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's being like he doesn't know but the three seashells. This guy it was like, <laughs> and Salome <laughs> being mad about that later when he walks in the base, like doesn't know what three seashells. Like I'd be I'd be pissed too. I'm like this doesn't make any sense. Don't treat me like an idiot. Um, I okay, million dollar question. Do you have a theory on the three seashells? Do you want to get into this? <laughs> oh man i should have anticipated this oh goodness I mean, it's like one of the biggest things come out of this movie I feel like it is laugh. it is oh man i feel like okay. you're a classy gentleman press we don't get into this if you don't want to about hoop poop you <laughs> <laughs> the sc- scatology if you will um yeah there you, you go know. you made a classier already that's good <laughs> <laughs> okay so i feel like the first seashell oh goodness uh the first (laughs) the first seashell is to to clamp the the god is to clamp the initial detritus and then wow wait what was that word hold on oh detritus detritus yeah, I've never heard that uh, in my life. Okay, really, uh, it's like uh, it's it basically means like residual like debris. Gotcha. Yeah. No uh, <laughs> wow. All right, I've never heard that. I'm writing that down. Uh, okay, so yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and she then the for, she, I said she shall. Uh, <laughs> that's gonna happen a lot. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Like right. The tongue twisters. Yeah. Um, I think the second seashell, uh, is uh, is to clamp like. <laughs> the, the 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 residue if you will off Fair the enough. rest of okay. it yep. and <laughs> then um because this can happen um i think the third is to cover any leftovers um like if you you know if you had if you had a lot you know a lot of food the other day or whatever mm-hmm. you know you can yep it, i think i think that's what the three or four i think it, it's detritus leftovers and then well no detritus um the the residuals then the leftovers that's what i think incredible well we're very well done <laughs> that was that was the classiest way i think anybody could explain the three seashells so i <laughs> applaud you that was great uh i'm over here like how do i say mine even half as uh intelligently as you did uh i <laughs> Hey, man, say, it, say, it, say it your way, man. It's it's just that was me just on the spot just thinking. I'm like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just I, I just, <laughs> just assume <laughs> that all three would be you just get in there. You just wipe like, like you would just use it like toilet paper. I hope they're smooth seashells. I hope they're not like jagged. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> I don't really have I mean, I feel stupid. I don't have like a better theory than that, but I just. I, I feel like you gotta just uh, get in there. If you need, you might not even need all three. Maybe you got lucky, and it's you know things. Are 
uh, and but then god and then uh you know but my question is how do they get clean do you put them back on some kind of device that like takes them down and like sanitizes them and shoot like brings them back up i gotta imagine there's some kind of process for uh it's gotta be the toilets because like because i feel like if if john spartan's asking about toilet paper that there has to be a toilet like he has to like sit down there and be like wait there's no toilet they show a toilet when he opens up his bathroom or wherever he's staying (laughs) that's right with the the three seashells so i just assume they were all for like you just you know clean up and uh you might not need all three maybe you do i hope you don't need more than three because you're out of luck and then uh and then i assume there's some way for them to get clean again i hope and uh it's a pretty it's a pretty economic utopia like in terms of like all like the restaurant being the same chain so i feel like and those portions are very small and they looked uh, very, I would say, healthy. I think it's funny too that the joke not only is that everything's Taco Bell, so Taco Bell is very classy now. Or, well, I guess they're all Taco Bells, so I guess that Taco Bell is classy. <laughs> and the portions are so tiny, and like it's like a little healthy thing. Maybe people aren't just going to the bathroom as much. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I got a lot of questions. I think still Stallone said someone asked him. I don't know when, and his his theory was you take two seashells together and like clamp them. And you get stuff out that way. And the third <laughs> seashell is for just like cleaning up the business, as they say. Uh, wow, I've really taken this podcast into the gutter. Uh, I appreciate that, Preston, you did a great job with uh, speaking very intelligently. And we talked about shit for two. <laughs> I had to get into it. I'm like, this is what everyone brings up from this movie i mean there's many but taco Bell, oh yeah I sh- it's my it's fault for not bracing for it so it's fine it's like uh, thank you matt taco-, <laughs> taco bell and the three seashells are like the two things everyone talks about demolition man um okay good job uh so <laughs> i will move back to somebody else now i sandra bullock i think i was watching Ooh, this again yes. it was like is she like the sneaky i don't know yeah, sneaky but like the mvp because i feel like she's so perfectly cast and playing it so well because she has to be kind of naive about things, mm-hmm. but also very excitable and really into like nineties culture. And I feel like she plays a naive part really well. And I love her messing up sayings constantly. Um, like oh yeah. God, she says, what did she say? You've got to like lick that guy or like, <laughs> like you really licked his ass. You really licked his ass. He's like, you really gnashed his meat. <laughs> kicked his ass. He's like, kicked his ass. She's like, okay. Um, her, she seems so genuine. I really, she's adorable. She was very, uh, she's so charming. I just, I, I thought she was great. I was like, man, she's really like, maybe like one, one of the best parts for sure. Maybe like the best part, but she's just so, it was funny because I read Lori Petty was going to be the, the, uh, this part before she left right before. And I'm like, Lori mm. Petty's good, but I feel like she doesn't, I couldn't imagine her having like the naivety that Sandra Bullock's playing. Like, um, that's it. That's yeah. it. Because what I was gonna say with Lori Petty, and, and I was thinking about this actually, uh, kind of when uh, as I was listening to your Constantine episode from a few weeks ago, um, uh, great episode by the way. But um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, truthfully, and you look at Keanu's love interest and in versus someone like a Stallone and. Um, where I don't count Arnie in the conversation only because like a lot of his best movies are 
you know, like Predator, Terminator, like there's no real love interest. It's more like John Connor and stuff like that. But the point I'm making is like with Keanu, I feel like his love interest, they're always a bit cold in a way, in a way that matches Keanu. Keanu, I feel like really sells ennui, which is why he's both great as Johnny Utah and really great as John Wick um, as, as kind of the beginning and the, the current uh, where he is now with his action career. Um, and I feel like those love interests like Carrie Ann Moss, Rachel Weiss, Lori Petty, like they have a, a kind of a coldness to them, but they're able to, because they're great actresses, portray a warmth beneath, beneath the ennui that, that really does kind of take Keanu's character's depression in different ways in the, at, at task. Whereas you look at like Talia Shire in the Rocky movies and like she begins that series very naive, but it's the strength that she develops through that that makes her an even more compelling character by the time you get to like the third film, uh, especially. And I think you do see that with Sandra Bullock here where Sandra Bullock, she signed, she shines so well in this era, in these roles where like, she's instantly likable. She really does. She just like really imbues this movie with a spirit where even though like you kind of get the sense from the moment she's introduced where she calls the superior on the screen, a sanctimonious asshole. Uh, for one thing, I just think that's a, that's a guide to your quote. Well done, Sandra. But also uh, I, I feel like only someone like her, who's able to be that like kind of that like actor puppy dog in a way, someone like a, like goodness, kind of like, I feel like Hollywood is kind of getting away from this with him, but like Tom Holland in a way, kind of like how he's like instantly, okay, a pup, this puppy dog kind of like persona. This is, this is your, this is your lane. This is like, this is how you can make these potentially one dimensional characters really pop. Um, I think that's Sandra in this movie. And I think she does that really, really well. Yeah. I, I glad we agree. Yeah. She's, I think she has like a, <laughs> It was like, I think we the same page, but no, she had, I see like puppy dog quality where she's just so excited uh, about everything. <laughs> like, um, and just, yeah, like all this stuff. Benjamin Bratt, like count, he's also great at playing like. How young in this. Oh my God. Like, they're like babies. Him and Sandra Bull. I mean, this is pretty speed for her. And like, um, he looks so young. Uh, I love the, <laughs> like he, he's good too. Like the wide eyed, like kind of like innocent where he's just like, you know, you kind of like, why do you collect all this stuff? All this, this, uh, crude junk or, you know, they just seem so, uh, goofy, Goodness. like a charming way. Um, yeah, I, that's the kind of stuff that really makes it more fun. I, you know, like, I don't know that's I feel like you, you do some of that kind of stuff in the back half too, or more like just straight action. But, but the last, I'm jumping back again all over the place, but I'm sure the last fight, I kind of forgot how good that last fight is where they're back in the cryo lab. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's just him versus Simon, you know, John Spartan, Simon Phoenix, one-on-one. Um, and then just him. Uh, it's, it's like a Mortal Kombat level, like fatality death where he like <laughs> freezes Simon Phoenix and then kicks his head like down and off his body. It's just like... Um, the head like fall, like the head bashes on the floor like it is like kind of like a not quite slow-mo, but enough to like where you see pieces of the head fall apart. And it's just like, oh man, like <laughs> super villains don't get deaths this good typically. No, like, they don't. I was like, man, someone really taking a chance here with the uh 
the cryo freeze thingy smashes because I wouldn't expect it to go all it goes like all over the room. It was like, oh shit. And then he has to like jump up and grab the thing that's spinning around. Even that gets frozen. It's like, well, that was a, a gamble. Uh I don't know why it went everywhere. <laughs> like it goes all over the place. Um Well that fight before then is you're right. It's so brutal because like by that point, like you really I feel like through the fighting, you really sense that Simon is just pissed that Spartan's just like who's he's really like messed up the plans at that point. So he's just like going at him with like kicks and punches in a, such a fast Dragon Ball Z kind of way. Like uh, pretty much like it, like it just, it just feels like that to me where like uh, it's just so quick and Stallone literally cannot keep up. And it literally takes him having to use what's around him um, uh, to really incapacitate and kill this guy. Cause, cause like this guy's got to go. And I think the setting of, of them kind of like tearing apart where it all began and then blowing it up after he, after uh, Phoenix kicks the bucket, I think is a, I think it's a really apt conclusion for, for this type of type of story. But yeah, no, that fight scene is, is, is pretty bonkers. Like it, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, and yeah, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, just everything about it. I think, I think really, really works. Uh, I forgot there's a line that Snipes says in that back half. I can't remember if it's like, uh, no, never mind. I was gonna, maybe it's the Stallone quote where he says like, is that the moment where he says, uh, I just watched it like a few hours ago. Jesus guys, <laughs> um, it's late guys. Sorry, but he goes, um, you know, uh, you've been you've been alive for too long. Both seconds of it. No, no, that's early in the movie. Never mind. But still, oh, that is great, early. great. Hey, that is that is a line. That is earlier. Than- <laughs> <laughs> that's a quote <laughs> <laughs> you you did get a it's a quote you got it right so uh no but it does happen earlier but i yeah I, it's funny because again i watched this earlier today too and um i'm over here on IMDb looking up quotes to remember things uh oh god you I, see now i'm starting naming random quotes to the movie a part that really made me laugh it's a really quick moment i forgot about it they show a clip i think it's either already in the future and they show a clip of john spartan from you know when he was a police officer in the 90s and he's carrying that little girl out. And the reporter asked John Spartan, he was like, how can you justify destroying a million dollar mini mall to rescue a girl whose ransom was only $25,000? And the girl <laughs> says, fuck you, lady. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that today. Like, I guess it had gotten by me before a few times because it's, it's very quick, but it's really funny. Um, the girl says it and like, um, God, it's uh, I, all the stuff with like, watching the future police officers react to these things oh, especially yeah. like the the murders may start happening like they don't even know what like code it is you know like they're like 187 <laughs> what's that code it's like bill cobb again i think the only guy that knows what's going on of <laughs> like he's like um the only one who knows what code that is like they're just so like murder like um i was murder, like Man, what kill. a Yep. <laughs> it's like, what a society that is. We don't even know what murder is. Like, oof, like, wow, I can't even imagine. <laughs> you know, like, just not well, to that... make it too real, but it's like, I mean, we just deal with this stuff every day. So it's like, that's a real utopia. People just forget about murder. You know what I mean? Like, because uh... I, I think, I think it's Rob Snyder who literally says, like, we're police officers. We're not trained to handle this kind of violence. And it's like, damn, this really is like a movie I'm watching. Wow. Oh, um... yeah. <laughs> That, yeah, that one hit me. Like, Ooh, boy. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, God, I mean, I just think, like, 
the movie works so well because the script is so good. And I know it's Daniel Waters, and I want to give credit to the other guy. Um, well, he Dale Wires did a rewrite, so like it's three credit screenwriters. Yeah. Um, it's um, Peter Lankoff, Robert Renault. I read mm-hmm. Fred Decker had an uncredited. I don't know if it was a rewrite or punch up. He worked on it. Fred Decker's the guy that said you should have like a prologue in the nineties to set this up. I think the I think the original idea was to like start it at the cryo sequence or something. Like uh, twenty thirty two probably. Yeah, like he was like have a prologue so you kind of see like where you're starting from, which is a great idea because that gives you a lot of good information about who these guys are, what the state of the world is in ninety six when this starts, like um so that was a very good addition to the story. <laughs> like if he, oh, if he yeah. contributed nothing else, then it's like, well, at least he did that. Um, you need Kansas before you get to Oz. And it's one of those things where. Oh, that's what he says. Yeah. You need Kansas before you get to Oz. Like, um, because otherwise Oz and all that special. But yeah, that's a great, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a great note. Um, Cause then we see like how, how even more messed up, I guess they think uh, the world will be, or at least LA would be in 96 versus 93 when this comes out. And, um, and then how like, how peaceful and quiet things are in 2032. Um, uh, well, I feel like I got the, I got the feeling today watching like that prologue that like some of that had to have been a reaction to like in a subtle way, like they don't say it, but I'm, this is just me inferring things in my conspiratorial mind. Hence why I love this movie so much, but um, uh, it's 96. This is a few years after like the LA riots uh, with like the police beatings of of um, of uh, of marginalized peoples and stuff like that, I feel like them. Yes, there are a lot of action movies that are based in Los Angeles, but the fact that they would go as far as to turning it turning L.A. into a, a megalopolis, you know, combining L.A., San Diego, and Santa Barbara, like. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, what movie is is based in Santa Barbara? I'm sure there there are some, <laughs> but like, it's just like sorry, that, Santa that's... Barbara. I know that was like <laughs> I mean, I, you're I'm right. Sure. I don't know what I don't know what takes place there. Yeah, it's just like that. That's go, but I feel like going that far to comprise like not not two but three cities in in that in that state. Like, it's just kind of like okay, this is a real like you you're you're how do I put this? you're so uh, hazard uh, avoidant that like you're really trying to like regulate like these three different, these three separate megaplexes. And I think that that's really apropos of really, of how Nigel Hawthorne's character really wants to uh, kind of seize a grip on, on the people. And in a way, you know, I'm now I'm throwing out all these ideologies. Like it really is like a form of communism in a way. Um, we really get down to the core of it. And I think ultimately, as much as the characters in the movie, some of them, especially the police chief, they want to frame Stallone as like this borderline villain, not too dissimilar from Simon Phoenix. I mean, it's really because Stallone is like, this isn't right because you're robbing the people of not just of their vices, but like their, their will. And I think in a way, the movie is kind of saying, um, much like Aldous Huxley, it's kind of saying that, like, yeah, like, utopia just isn't possible. Um, and that's kind of the right thing. And I think that that's, re- that's a really... It's not an original idea, but it's a truthful idea. And it's almost too true for a movie like this 
to persist. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that's just a, something I came to today. No, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think I read, I don't know if you read this too, but Sandra Bullock's character being named Huxley was a tip of the hat to, um, to what you just, the Aldous Huxley. Yes. Thank you. I was like, wait, what's their first name? Uh, Aldous Huxley, that whole thing. And then the, because the movie was shot, I guess, probably in 92 or into 93. It was, the opening was inspired by the Los Angeles riots. It happened just, like, shortly before that. So they were they were going off of that. So both those things you mentioned, yeah, definitely were <laughs> consciously thought of to be kind of added into the movie. Because, um, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think it's trying to say, like, you know, you. it sounds great to have, like, a perfect utopia on paper, but then, like, you know, what are you sacrificing to get that? Who's suffering? Uh, is it really perfect? Like you really can't have like a, <laughs> a truly perfect world is like a, is a real uh, uh, kind of like just not a attainable idea. If that, you know, so yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's saying, say a little of that. And the funny, I mean, it does all this stuff. It has all these ideas, but it's all kind of putting the idea of like, this is a big, fun, silly action movie. You know what I mean? It's not like it's, <laughs> it's, not like it's yeah. really like, shoving it down your throat it's just kind of there for you to uh just kind of take if you want really <laughs> so um oh no the movie doesn't stop and like i will say this about the script as much as people can be like oh it's just a dumb action movie like it's 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 silly the humor is blah like you like the movie never really stops to like make a make a make an outright statement because i did notice today i was like man the movie the movie really only stops for Dennis Leary's rant, uh, uh, the standard routine basically, and then earlier when uh, uh, Lieutenant Huxley is trying to mentally have have mental sex, basically I call it Vulcan <laughs> sex with yeah, uh, yeah. John Spartan, <laughs> with John Spartan, and then he erupts into this rant about like, okay, like, this is what flew- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that. No, seriously, like, the movie is, like, never, it's like the tone is always well-commanded. As much as, you know, certain parts are probably choppier than others, blah, blah, like, there's there's always a command of tone where the movie never really mires in anything. It's just, like, wee the whole time. And I think, (laughs) and, and, and I applaud the movie for that. It's like, if the movie came out now, or if the movie was hell if it was written by anyone else any other series of screenwriters um and i'm curious to see how much of that was joel silver's influence how much he was just like i want this movie to just be fun so we're not going to stop for anything because even independence day like i would argue has real true character moments in beneath all of the the silliness which is why i do love independence day unironically uh but demolition man doesn't really do that so yeah 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 i mean i love uh independence day too but yeah this this uh it moves really well obviously they they cut a lot out to make it move faster but they uh yeah they don't ever really stop i mean there's a lot of expedition has to be done because it's a fish out of water story so we've got to give we're like whist alone we're like what how does this work what's going on um (laughs) And there's plenty of stuff that they barely explain. They get the three seashells. Uh, they, they don't explain. <laughs> I was going to say the lack of toilet paper. Yeah, the lack of toilet paper is yeah, like uh, um, <laughs> it's. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, there's so much of that. It just it just kind of goes and and uh, moves along 
fairly quickly. And I don't know, like, I know I think we both were like, we didn't take a lot of notes for this, but um, I, I'm not trying to like also wrap up immediately, but I'm like, did you have anything else you definitely want to talk about before we did wrap up? Like, I'm just, I, I feel like there's more I want to say, but I feel like also we talked about, we touched on a lot of things. I kind of feel like we covered like the bulk of it. So, um, but yeah, do you have anything else that you definitely want to bring up or say about the movie? I think, uh, I guess like, <clears throat> I guess my penultimate thoughts are just like, I think the next time people watch this movie, I think there's a lot of great design detail that's really rad of this movie. I, I mean, oh yeah, uh, yeah, like there's a, oh goodness, like the, I mean, Simon Phoenix, I mean, just his little things that I like recognize, like the eyes are different, like they have different colors. I forget what the, what the, uh, the eye condition is called. Uh, but I think it, but I just think that makes him stand out more. Like I call it the David Bowie eyes because Bowie had eyes like that. Um, but like, there's just a lot of really cool, like, I like how this is a nineties movie, but they really threw money at the screen in a very inspired way. Like the, uh, the police officer uh, uniforms, like they actually look like they'd be of an incorrect future, but a future nonetheless. Like, it, but the future doesn't look like Blade Runner, um, like a lot of science fiction tends to riff on. Like, it really does look like a pristine, very clean, very clear um, uh, utopia to the point to where it's the the visual the the few times that the movie stops to show you like different settings and stuff because it is such a a, a pacey quick breezy movie um everything just feels so clean and in a way it feels weightless but i think that that actually amplifies the distastefully um sinless experience um <laughs> of, of living uh -huh. in in uh of living in uh, san angeles so yeah i mean in in general that just like fuels my distaste for the idea of throwing three different cities together i don't know why i just hate that i just i just do it's like <laughs> let, let a city be a city man but yeah, that, no, those that are... seems like a, they love doing that in future stuff they're like these cities became unified like new angeles or it's like or we or like uh it's always Neo something, you know, like Neo Tokyo, or it's like they add <laughs> uh, other ones. I think they do it in Escape from L.A. What? Oh, my God. What am I thinking of where they like they just kind of smash two cities together and they're like, these are one city now. Like that happened in the future. Um, That is like a trope. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I was thinking a day Demolition Man does not go too, too hard with like being like over the top in the future because they, they knew wisely it's only about uh 30 ish years at 36 like 36 years yeah. so that they don't you know the self-driving cars which we're not too far away from we have some cars that drive themselves and not well from what i understand but i think they were we're close <laughs> uh and uh it's nothing too i mean just the things that are different but like the technology i think it's funny as well at some point sandra bullock said do you want to watch something on laser disc i thought oh that's adorable they thought laser disc was still going to be around in 36 years like that's that's the format that one um yeah uh, <laughs> i think it's always funny that the one thing that a lot of these movies don't get right that are like pre 2000s is how or even 2000s that things just aren't physical as much anymore you know what i mean it's always like yeah. they, they, they get smaller in the future like you know, it was mini discs or it's like it's mini it's like mini tapes like uh but they always think there's like a physical things still and like that's the one thing they never quite get is like so many things are like things are kept in the cloud i guess it's not it's not as exciting a movie 
uh, thing to see, you know, like digital. I think, yeah. I well, I, th- I I think it just goes back to like the 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 classic component of a MacGuffin, and because uh, a few weeks, a couple weeks ago, I revisited uh, the, the Maltese Falcon, and it's um, it, it's it's amazing to me just how just how many movies, especially because Maltese Falcon's a film noir, and yet it gets referenced in. Guardians of the Galaxy for crying out loud when right, you know yeah, when Star Lord's yeah. literally like yeah like this is a MacGuffin and um, obviously that's a big part of like fifties movies on is like an acknowledgement of like this object and that's a linchpin in so many espionage action movies and stuff like that and I, I think in a way I do get it because like it's like okay like how do you hold the audience's attention and, and give them something to follow. It's kind of like, you know, they, they, they need something to mark geography and to, and help them mark like point A to B to C. And, um, and I, I think too, with just the ever changing nature of just the virtual experience, um, I would say that's another thing about this movie that it gets wrong in a very cute way is, uh, <laughs> like, like any time, like, especially when, um, for example, when Lieutenant Huxley is looking upon the damage that uh, <laughs> Simon Phoenix is doing, I'm laughing only because Rob Schneider literally throws up at like the three MDKs, and it's just oh, like yeah. Jesus, dude. <laughs> um, and uh, and <laughs> the computers look just so clunky and just so blocky, but it but it's again, it's 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 something I love about just older sci-fi. Um, and it's, it's weird that this movie is going to be 20 years old in a few years. I'm like, oh shit, this is, this is, this is actually becoming like older sci-fi. Uh, but, it, but in a way that I think is Wait, part isn't of it's it turning, it's turning 30 this year, I think. Uh, oh snap. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I look, I'm it's looking okay. at the I, year 1996, but it I came was, out in 93. Oh yeah. It is confusing when they said it, they said it so close to when it came out, but it's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, also, it's just hard for me to believe 93 was 30 years ago because I'm like, what? how did that happen? Uh, I For a second, I thought you were talking about 2032 and I was confused, but no. Yeah, so 30 <laughs> years. Another good reason to be doing this episode now is uh, that it's the 30th anniversary this year. So um, Wow. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's that's super rad. <laughs> <laughs> Along with Last Action Hero this June. Uh, I, I'm i just like, how are these movies 30 years old? What the what what is happening? Uh, so <laughs> It's like um, when you and I were talking about hulk like off mic and like you were just like wait how old were you when that came out <laughs> oh, god i almost passed out uh and that movie's 20 years old that movie is turning 20 this year that's uh it's oh three so oh yeah no i'm sad but yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um that's why I can't even be too upset when it's like, oh, I feel old. I'm like, everybody gets old. Time just marches on. It's like, um, if anyone's no. old, it's like, oh, you're old. Like, you're going to be old, too. We're all getting there. So, um, no, I'm yeah. John Spartan. Jesus. Yeah. Like, it's just. <laughs> Someone put me in cryo freeze till the. I want to see the future. Uh, I want to see if everything's Taco Bell. <laughs> um, no wake me up for that utopia. Yeah. Oh, no. I, no toilet paper. It's frightening. I, it's funny. I mean, because I know Taco Bell is different in this, but the idea that everything is Taco Bell and there's no toilet paper is like a sick joke. It's like <laughs> imagine if it was just Taco Bell now and it was the same, and it's like, oh, by the way, there's no toilet paper anymore. Good luck. 
Um, well, I kept thinking too, like Taco Bell is actually inadvertently like the proper restaurant for this world, especially if like, because I think yeah, Cassandra Bullock, yeah, I wrote it down. She's she like the utopia is anti meat, so I'm just like, well, Taco Bell's not legally meat, which is why they call themselves a hundred percent meat product because like they're legally they legally have to do that. They can't call oh, themselves meat. They, I thought meat they fixed product. that. No, I thought uh, they got they got so much trouble for that like grade D meat like years ago i thought they had to go back and <laughs> fix it because it was like worse than dog food <laughs> like, oh boy i guess i'm not getting a sponsorship from taco bell anytime soon oh well no <laughs> there go those those dollars um no <laughs> oh that is funny i don't know what the quality of the meat is now but i you know i can't imagine it's great but <laughs> need to cryo freeze it i don't oh, know yeah man. cryo it's... freeze it, it'll be fine my god i could tell we're just getting goofy at this point like we posted very late to... <laughs> we talked for people so listening long. are like what are they on right now what are they oh, on? We, the people don't know we talked for like an hour plus before we even started recording the podcast so um, that's true that's true probably pretty just goofy at this point but uh uh it was like after after you know we did like a whole we pretty much did like a, a like a like a covert spike lee episode you just threw me to the corner it's like okay president's too serious for me let me let me podcast about other stuff no i'm kidding i'm <laughs> kidding but it's <laughs> you're just like let me throw him mufasa style but you know no no, no i would i would never i would never <laughs> time gets away from me doing this podcast i think i think it you know it's like how long has it been oh four months whoops i'm sorry like uh, oh man um, it's funny this is like the total opposite of the Spike Lee episode I feel like oh, Inside, Inside Man's a fun movie that was the basis of the episode but um, oh yeah we went for some other tangents but uh oh, I mean I didn't know Demolition Man was like that big a movie for you we started doing this so that was interesting to hear that you love it as yeah. much as you do so um I do I will say I really at some point if you're still down I would love to do the Cobra Tango and Cash double at some point oh I'm very much down I mean okay. <laughs> that's the thing like like i like the way you talk about arnie who i also adore like i mean that's again that's still on for me like like i've been trying to find time actually to finally watch uh tulsa king uh just because i'm that much of a of a of a, of a fan of his but yeah i mean i've yeah like i i've i've watched you know quite a bit of the b-sides um you know stuff like you know like I'm trying to think like Nighthawks and stuff like that. I mean, I, it, he, he makes very interesting choices throughout each phase of his career that kind of keep him in the, in the kind of keep him in the consciousness in some way. And I think, you know, when he does inevitably, you know, when he does pass on, I think he'll have so many success stories, so many like micro successes, you know, stuff like Coughland and movies like that. I think, you know, we'll look back on Stallone and be like, damn, like you did a lot for, for film. And I feel like even now, like I still don't hear him getting his roses as much, you know, even though, yes, he's been nominated for a couple of Oscars and stuff like that. I, I, uh, I, I feel like he should give, he should get more credit just for taking, being in movies that take big swings like this and also taking big swings himself as an artist, which yes, you could argue that, um, more of those swings are negative than others, but we remember the great ones because only someone who was inspired by the likes of like Brando and uh, people like that uh, could make something, you know, like a Rocky to really 
you know, uh, set the seventies ablaze. And I think that's super fucking interesting. So yeah, I, I love Sly. Yeah, no, he's pretty great. He's done a, I mean, I, I think Arnold's still my guy, but Stallone is right there too. And like, oh, yeah. I, I appreciate everything he's done. Like he's done a wide uh, breadth of work. Like, I mean, to do uh, Copland and Demolition Man and Cobra and like <laughs> and, <laughs> silly stop my mumble shoot. Uh, no, like Oscar, I probably is a better example. Like he's done over the top. Over the top. I mean, you know, it's fun. <laughs> it's a fun movie. Uh, I he's I mean yeah he's been it's funny because he got a rap as like a bad actor but then you watch like Copland or I mean the first Rocky especially and then all the way to Creed um, yeah like yeah. he should have won that Oscar I think we just wanted that with like Lindsay and James I was like listen now you guys like British Spies and Mark Rylance but I still think I still think it should have been Stallone's Oscar uh that time and uh and I, mean, I love yeah. British Spies and I think I actually do love British Spies but yeah I, I'm very much pro um uh, I'm very pro stolen that year for sure. I agree yeah. with you. I, I, he's done. He's done a lot. He has a crazy career. It's going on for so long. Like still doing stuff. Like I hear. I haven't watched Tulsa King. I you know I joke about not watching TV shows, and that's yeah. I probably won't get around to it. But I hear good things. Really, <laughs> really good in I'm, it. So yeah, I'm bad about it too, man. I, I feel you. I'm 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 only interested just just based on the Stallone-ness of it. So yeah, yeah that, that's pretty I, much it. Yeah, I mean, I just Demolition Man's a good mix for him of doing like straight ahead action while still doing, uh, you know, some comedy mixings. I think he, then the next couple of years, he gets a little too into more serious action movies like specialist. And, uh, I mean, assassins, assassins. Is kind of fun, but I feel like he's not as fun in assassins. Like, and Tony Madero gets to do all of, like the, I feel like the really fun stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'd rather have Sloan. Like, I don't need him so deadly serious. Like I like it to be a little more, um, you know, human, a little more fun, <laughs> like, which he can do. It's just sometimes I feel like he wants to be taken so seriously that sometimes it's like lighten up a little bit, Stallone. But he's gotten better about that. He does, I mean, he's done all kinds of stuff. So, um, well, I, I call it the Vin Diesel effect because, oh, like, because yeah. <laughs> cause I would argue, like, Vin Diesel's early stuff, like, a, like <clears throat> you know, the stuff when he first came on the scene in like late 90s to early 2000s, like, I think the, the, the how can i put this in a way that's people are going to be like Preston, what um <laughs> i personally feel like vin is capable of being a good actor i think he is analogous to sloan in that when you really track the trajectory of his career um you know in vin's case like like over 20 years at this point um the more he becomes an egoist that's where you know he becomes less compelling and i say this because uh i just like uh earlier this month i watched uh uh return of xander cage for the first time you know um oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> just you know for the donnie endness of it and also donnie like good uh, in that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and and i think it's a personally i think it's a really fun movie i think and i think vin diesel works best when he's either being challenged by the bravado and the personas of other people around him which is why he really works in those like mid, uh, uh, not mid, like oh mid, but like th those <laughs> that 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 mid series run of Fast and Furious movies, where he's like having to share screen time with like a team, um, or you know in the case of like a movie like Find Me Guilty, which I think is an underrated Sidney Lumet film. Um, it's it's been a few years since I've seen it, so if people watch it, 
because of that wreck and they're just like pressing that movie that movie is mid <laughs> it's like i'm sorry guys but i i do think he's i do think he's solid in the movie so um yeah i, I think that's stallone i think where the jokes became prevalent with people especially people who didn't go back to like the first bloods the uh the rockies the uh, like uh, th- that a lot of that early work I think they really it's easy for them to look at you know something like I don't know like an Expendables movie or even um, bullet, a, a bullet in the head or something like that where it's just like okay you're taking this way too seriously dude <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know and I think Creed felt like such a breath of fresh air on a performance level I mean it helps that um much like Demolition Man, it's nearly 40 years since he played that, you know, got nominated for that role, but also um, it's the fact that he has so much humanity. He's playing the the pathos. He's really tapping into those uh, Strasbourgian um, uh, method acting uh, inclinations that really did permeate his influences. And I think, uh, yeah, I think he's, I think he's really great, uh, great, great in both films and in uh, in other stuff moving forward. So yeah, man, I, I yeah, I, I, I do, I do love me some Sly, and I do love Demolition Man. To just kind of yeah, wrap this all back around. So yeah, <laughs> all came full circle. Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, probably need to wrap up now because it's very late. But uh, uh, I feel like we we uh, said all we need to say about demolition man it's we both agree it's great that's a lot of fun i it's it, we're definitely not the kind of show we're gonna go beat by beat and there's just so many funny little moments and like lines but i would not go sit here and go through every single line and funny moment but it, I, simon I was, says die yeah, yeah there's simon, <laughs> simon says stuff i mean we, it's a hard movie to like do that too there's just so many i was like man i'm really impressed how much like stuff they pack into this like lines and little jokes and um little references and all these there's so much stuff uh in this but it's it's very fun i a movie i revisit uh quite a bit i've seen quite a few times and it never really gets old it's always it's always a good time so um thank you for talking about it with me it was a good time uh i'm glad we i think talked about the three seashells the most and had we anyway i think we solved the mystery i think we uh Uh, that's what's really important here. The three seashells and the hunk of chunka. That's what's really what it's all about. Um, oh boy. Well, uh, do you want to do you want to go ahead and plug anything? Do you want to talk about stuff you're going to be on anytime soon? This, this episode we're doing right now will be out next week, so this will be out very soon. So I don't know if other stuff you want to plug or if people can follow you, all that stuff. Sure, sure. I think when this episode drops, I'm not sure if these episodes will have. I think one of them for sure, I, I don't think will have come out yet, but um, coming up soon, I am going to be on um, the film strip podcast. And then I will be uh, on Schlock and Awe again very, very soon. So uh, definitely be on outlook for that. And uh, anything else uh, that comes up, um, please feel free to just follow me on Twitter and letterboxd uh, Twitter at uh, uh, P R E S T O uh, underscore um, uh M-I-T-C-H, excuse me, that's Letterbox. And then uh, uh, Twitter at P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T. And uh, yeah, man, um, I love connecting with movie fans. I love talking about film uh, with with guys like my boy Matt. And yeah, um, dude, thank you for, you know, 
finally unearthing the the mystery behind Demolition Man and what's <laughs> what's great about it, what's weird about it. Um, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, man, uh, always a pleasure to to talk to you. Yes, it's always great to talk to you. Glad we got to catch up. Uh, it's been too long, so uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again before too long, and and, and we talk about. I, I don't. Who knows? Next time, I'll, I'm open to ideas, so we'll think of something. But uh, I'm always <laughs> happy to talk movies with you. So, um, yes, yeah, so it was a good time. I this was one that was on my list of movies very early on to talk about in the podcast. So we we knocked it out. So I'm happy about that. So um, that was a good time. So uh, yes, and I will say for our stuff, uh, you could follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. You could follow me on Twitter at MapLed87. And you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. Um, and that's it for this time. We'll be back next week. Uh, bye, everybody.